This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 302, The Super Vool Wraith Cabal Guide. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Hey, Hunter, welcome to my house. <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, hey, well, hey. Uh, good to be here. Thanks. Been here before. Nice but... having you. Nice to have you here in my house. It's just always fun when you get to be in my house, you know? Yeah, you like that? I like it. You like me being at your house? You talk to my uh, daughter, and uh-huh. it, goes, it goes really well every time. Yeah. What do you mean? Are you being sarcastic? It seems like you're being you sarcastic. Two, I think you it goes great. You two really click. You two really have a rhythm. I know? think it's, uh, yeah. It, I think me and Molly are, are fast friends, and <laughs> it's really... I just, you know, Matt, I don't, I mean, I was telling you, I've, I've been honest about it. I've never tried to pretend to be someone I'm not. I, I'm not very good at talking to children. I'm not really good at being around children. I used to teach. Uh, I used to be a substitute That's teacher. That's the wildest part. How did yeah. that go for you? Not good. Didn't like it. Uh, I occasionally got like complaints because sometimes I would just kind of like, I would lose my way with the kid. And, you know, kids can be really mean. Yeah. They can be really manipulative. That's their main thing. And I, I don't really take that too well. Um, not that I ever got angry at a kid, but there was a kid that, like, wanted to play mind games with me. And I was not. It was like, well, you're going to win because I don't. I just don't want to do this. You you'll know, let a, you'll let a 13 year old bully you, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 more like I don't I just don't know what to do with them bullying me. <laughs> It's not like, it's it's like I'm just not clear, like, because in my head, I'm like, well, I can make them cry mm-hmm. if I want. I could just <laughs> I make could, them cry. I could also, get the power back don't, in this No, 13-year-old, like, wh- yeah, whenever it was true. middle school, junior high, I loved those kids. Those yeah. kids were great. And they, they were easy to teach, and they were excited about stuff, and they right. were, you could joke around with them. I'm talking about, like, little kids. I can't, I don't know what to do, because they don't, they don't really understand much yeah. yet. And I don't understand them very well. You know, mm-hmm. I don't understand anything Molly says to me. Yeah. Like, Molly that's says all kinds of stuff. That's the funniest. I, Molly and, and will that's say the thing with kids in jail, right? Like, toddlers, they're hard to understand. Right. But, and you spend but, time with Molly all yeah, the time, yeah, yeah. so you know her very specific accent or whatever. Sure. But yeah, you go beyond that because you're just not around kids at all. Yeah. So kids speak goes completely over. Well, yeah, because kids talk like they're little drunks or something. <laughs> they just kind of walk over to you like. Hey, my, my my favorite one of my favorite moments of uh, after college, I took a trip to Iceland. I got to go. I went. Yeah, went yeah. Couch surfing around Iceland, and I stayed with a uh, uh, a wonderful family for a bunch of the time, and they had a three year old daughter uh, that was three at the time, and uh, I would try to talk to her, and it, I thought i couldn't understand her because she was speaking icelandic and there was an instance where i finally like checked in with the mom like what did she say and the mom was like oh i don't know that was that was toddler gibberish and i had to sort of like check myself on like oh yeah (laughs) it's not just that she's icelandic it's that she's She's, not speaking (laughs) she's also a child yeah yeah no i get that of just being like well this kid's not american so they're probably wicked smart You know what I mean? Like I, I, I've thought that because I taught in Korea as well. Yeah. I taught kids, yeah. and I was like, "Oh dang, these kids must be way smarter than American kids." They weren't. <laughs> they were absolutely not. 
not even a little bit. But I mean, we had a language barrier on top of them being, you know, mean kids that did bad stuff all the time. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, I'm going to be here in Arkansas with you for a, a month, maybe longer. Yeah. We we don't even know. It's an indeterminate amount uh-huh. of time. Uh-huh. The clock is ticking, yeah. and I just I feel strange about it. But <laughs> I think I think in the meantime, you know, I think me and Molly are going to get a lot of quality time. She turns out she loves you. I guess so. <laughs> Uh, she keeps talking about you. I think it's because I, I, you know, I think it's because Molly's surrounded by a lot of people pleasers that are trying to make sure. And I think she just respects more somebody that maybe doesn't doesn't really have much to say to Is her. Pandering. Yeah, I'm not pandering to Molly at all. I treat Molly like an adult. You know what I mean? I treat Molly like. Like, I'm not going to just pretend what Molly's doing is interesting. Uh-huh, you know what I uh-huh. mean? Molly d- might do or say something interesting, or she might not. It's like anybody else, you know? We're all competing <laughs> for attention. You know, me and Matt are competing for your attention, the listener's attention. Uh-huh. Right now, I don't know what you're doing. You know yeah. what I mean? You might be driving. Maybe yeah. we're trying to distract you we from are gonna, that. We're going we're gonna to distract, distract you. you. <laughs> no, we, d- you know, Space Cats, Peace Turtles, we are difficult to ignore. You know, <laughs> the jargon gets thick around here, and y'all, I know y'all get invested. I know no one has ever zoned out to this podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. How could you? You know, there's so much meaty jargon, you know? Uh, man, speaking of uh, you being in town and, and, and all of this, uh, the semis, they're finally upon us. There's the been a semifinals. bit of a break between the, the prelims and the semis of the tournament, but we finally got them scheduled. And uh, your first semifinals game will be coming up. There's just going to be one this <laughs> upcoming weekend. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start slow. We're going to ease into the semis, folks. So don't get don't get overly excited. But for Sunday, I just want to tell you, Sunday, June 11th at 1800 UTC, we'll get to check out Bartholomew, the Meta, Jadim Jedi, Mobbles, Mudflaps, and Nephew of Dorn. Yeah. And that will be game number one of our six-game semifinals. That'll be game number one of the semis. Uh, very excited about that. Um, on Friday, this Friday, which is June 9th, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be playing a mock semifinal game. Uh, and this is all, of course, on twitch.tv slash Turtles. if you want to check it out. Um, and with uh, some people from the Patreon. Um, if you're in the Yinsterhood, uh, please sign up for that game. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll have to scrounge up some other folks. I, th- I think I still have like a spot or two left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're hearing this, you know, come on down and, and play in the, uh, I love doing a mock. Love doing a mock. <laughs> love a mock. Love I, a mock. I don't, we haven't actually discussed like when and how we're releasing the semifinal slices. They're coming. They should be out very, very soon, uh, I guess. is the uh, Well, yeah, we'll maybe. at least post them. I don't know if we'll have a video for the semis. It always feels weirder to do like a video for the That's semis. That's for 36 people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to give them the slices and y'all can hear about them when you hear about them, basically. Yeah, you don't, you know, listen, this is our house and you don't get the slices. Slices just because you think you deserve it. You know what I mean? Like maybe the test for people are going to be like, oh, well, the game one people don't get to study it as much. Yeah. And my response to that is, uh, yeah, they don't. All they six don't of get them to. don't get to. Yeah, and they, that's fair. That's part of it <laughs> that they don't. None of them have an inside track or anything like mm-hmm. that. And also like, you know what? Maybe it's kind of overrated studying the slices. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's more about playing cowboy style. Maybe it's more about looking at it and looking into the heart of the cards and feeling feeling and not thinking so much mm-hmm. every we're all about thinking on this show Why? but there's not enough heart yeah okay play with your heart play with your heart and then if you fail you're banished to the shadow realm <laughs> let's talk about today's faction super guide uh what is this f- number six number six out of seven 
of the POK factions. No, we, are... we got Titans and we got Nomad left. Right. So this is fifth. This, this is, is our fifth, fifth faction. Our fifth one. We haven't really addressed whether or not we're read if we're going to do a Super Calera's guide. It's not part of quote unquote this season, but I, I just realized that might be something we also return to is a Calera's another. I don't know. It's eventually. I don't know. This is just a thought occurring to me in this moment. The fact that we covered Calera's less than a year ago, I feel like would yeah. kind of kind of indicate that. How maybe long were it's these? Oh, these were more than about, a year ago. Boy. Yeah, Matt. That's how time works. Uh, you know, it's exhausting. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what I'm saying is like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if you haven't been keeping up with the schedule or what, you know, but uh, you, it's just I just can't accept how much uh, how much how quickly time happens uh, yeah. with this show. It never it, it never fails to uh, surprise me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about Cabal because we've talked about a Cabal actually a lot. There was a there was a point in time where we were going to kind of like sort of casually go through the factions and we did like a, essentially like a bonus episode on Cabal that was just like Cabal anecdotes and it was like kind of whatever it was just an episode that existed for a little bit mm -hmm. but it was in theory in service of this episode like it would have in theory been leading up to this episode it just took us a lot longer to get to this part of that series than uh than the original plan was well i think the idea at the time matt was that we were going to stop doing uh guide episodes that were just like kind of all in one mm -hmm. one-stop shop type stuff right and instead we were going to break up the uh the efforts yeah. across multiple episodes yeah. supposed to be like cabal month yeah and to be honest i think that's way too much talking about anything yeah to be honest right. which is a, a bold thing to say on this show actually <laughs> kind of a wild thing <laughs> a little bit of hypocrisy it's maybe. a little bit of hypocrisy <laughs> we're but just saying we know our limits <laughs> i just don't i don't want to have to talk about a faction over several episodes yeah, versus yeah. just talking about a faction for for one episode. Quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Well, let's overview their stuff and then we can actually talk about uh, some new things I feel like I've gleaned about Cabal. Uh, but I think I want to lead with the sense... Oh, do we, we don't want to do lore? We do should we, do lore. We got some lore? I, can we, I mean, we can start with lore, what, right? You know, it, it's it's. I think no one is upset to hear that this is the dinosaur faction. Like, that doesn't upset anybody out there at all. It you, upsets me you, because... It's just the dinosaur faction. No, I, that, it, that is actually upsetting, uh, Matt, because uh, as, as I was scolded once <laughs> by someone, there's just... I mean, no one in particular, but someone... <laughs> Someone that may have even been on this show pretty recently, but <laughs> was scolded, uh, and I'm going to use that verb, I'm sticking with that verb, <laughs> scolded, uh, but uh, they were telling me that, you know, they're not all dinos, that actually they're all variety of, of monster, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and, and maybe perhaps even non-monsters. Uh, I see four monsters, in for, or three monsters, yeah, I see three pictures of monsters. Well, I'll agree, I'll agree that two of these are not necessarily dinosaurs. If you look at the art, they're definitely not all dinosaur-like. They're different types they're of They're not Jurassic period dinosaurs, is, is my pushback. I think they're okay. all dinosaurs, but they might be from different... Well, they're definitely not... I mean, well, okay, if you want to get super literal about it, Matt, they are definitely not actually dinosaurs. <laughs> what? They are fictional. They do not exist. What? <laughs> and they are meant to be, like, cosmic... Uh, beings from another dimension. Mm. I feel like I'm getting into more hot water by even describing <laughs> it. And we'll, I feel like I'm in, I'm due for a scolding. Here, let me put this out there. Uh -huh. What if the Volwraith Cabal are monsters, yes, from our dimension? Oh, yeah. We are, so, soul is soul. Earth is actually a different planet that's, entirely. That's a different universe. And the Cabal monsters are from our universe. So, yes, there are, they are mutated dinosaur stuff mm -hmm. but there's also they're just all monsters mm -hmm. and so i'm talking about 
you see where I'm going with this? I'm talking about Godzilla. Yeah. I'm talking about King Kong. I'm talking about Mothra. Yeah. I'm talking about Frankenstein's monster, yeah. the mummy, the invisible man. Mike Wazowski. Yeah, m- from Monsters Inc. Monsters Inc. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> him too. And what are some other monsters? We've got Dracula. We've got Mike from Monsters Inc. <laughs> we also Sully. Sully. We have Sully from Monsters Inc. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, there's that monster from The Host. Ooh. Uh, there's uh, zombies. So what is interesting zombies to me is what you're, what you're purporting is that all y- you wanted to tell me that these monsters are fictional, but that you're purporting that the real monsters of Cabal are the real monsters from our world that are not fictional. I'm talking about like ah, such as, real monsters. Ooh, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good poll. I'm the talking ah, guy. real monsters. I'm talking <laughs> Halloween Town. You know what I'm saying? Jack Skellington <laughs> is riding a dinosaur. Okay. I'm talking that's what Cabal, yeah. that's what the lore is. The cult is. of Cabal is just a bunch of Disney movies. See, monsters. I had Absol's back. Yeah. And had also did a very good job of portraying uh, the lore yes. in that it is, in fact, Jack Skellington yeah. is there. From Nightmare Before Christmas. From Nightmare Before Christmas. From Disney's Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton's. Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. How about, what about this? Let's go one step further. What if the entire Volrath Cabal is just Tim Burton's Nightmare? <laughs> so we're talking 1989 Batman. We're talking Cat. Per, or Catwoman, <laughs> we're talking cat person. Cat person. We're talking uh, Danny DeVito. Uh-huh. Okay, just Danny okay, DeVito. New take. Well, wait, All of the monsters are just Danny DeVito. New penguin. Danny DeVito. All in, the characters of Danny DeVito. They're all Danny DeVito. All Danny DeVito's characters. They're not characters. dinos. They're DeVitos. Yeah. yeah, Danny DeVito from Batman Returns, the Penguin. Danny DeVito Danny from DeVito. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, Danny DeVito from uh, when he played when he was in Matilda. When he played Matilda's dad. Uh, Danny DeVito when he played uh, uh, when he was in Man on the Moon. Uh, Danny DeVito from Twins, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Danny that Danny DeVito as well. So it's I and can maybe it be a subsection like one of the subspecies of the Cabal is the Danny DeVito DeVitoites <laughs> DeVitoites the Danny DeVitos. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just keep it simple. Very also, good. that's a great band name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, they start with one Treadnought, one Carrier, one Cruiser, three Fighters, three Infantry. They have the sort of one and a half C3I that we've talked about with some other factions. What is this? Is this also the Necro start? No, Necro of two Infantry. Anyways, it's not a bad start, especially when you consider they start with the tech self-assembly routines, which is the one where when you build, you get a free mech. Get a free mech. Uh, So essentially... With Cabal to, to, like, do decent, you really only need, like, to, to do a build off of Warfare, actually. Mm-hmm. You don't need much. Now, you'd love a second carrier, but the Dreadnought can work. Uh, you, three planet home systems next to you, you can get a mech where they need to go. In general, this is a fine start. With, uh, the, the faction can, can, can handle the three infantry and all that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I have no qualms with this. Uh, their home system is four resources, which means you definitely can do a carrier and, and infantry but we also do like researching tech round one we'll talk about the tech thing but there's a specific tech that we love to get round one uh we have two commodities which is annoying is a thorn in our side it is probably deserved because this is in essence an economic faction and uh 
it's not trade good economics it's the it's all the other economics it's, essentially yeah it's plastic econ plastic econ yeah. is what we're looking at today uh so their abilities are as follow uh and it starts it starts off with a real a real hoot nanny because you start with the ability devour which is to capture your opponent's non-structure units that are destroyed during combat problem is capture is is a new rule in pok that you have to go ref it's like one of the rare instances in twilight imperium where you have to just go check something for only this faction essentially right this is the only thing that captures but capture is in the rule book as also some specific separate rules that we have to to know about so what is capturing uh when you capture a unit it goes on your faction sheet you can trade those units back in a transaction so if for some reason someone really wants their dread they technically could like pay you a dollar for the dread back I uh, still have never seen this happen ever yeah. Uh, yeah. as Cabal, so I wouldn't overthink it, although it's more relevant for two other factions we'll talk about later, maybe, and even then, not really. Uh, you use uh, captured units in abilities that we'll get into, and then the, the other big thing is if your space docks get blockaded, you have to return all of your captured units uh, to the player they belong to. Um, and also notably, when you capture fighters and infantry, you do not capture the plastic, so you can't, like, hoard people's infantry so that they can no longer build infantry stacks on planets. You just get tokens for infantry and fighters, and those don't actually technically belong to anybody. But you put a bunch of plastic and cardboard on your sheet, and then you can do a couple things with them. The first thing you can do with them is amalgamation. When you produce a unit, you may return one captured unit of that type to produce that unit without spending resources. So spend someone else's dread for one of your dreads. Spend someone else's carrier for one of your carriers. You also can do Rift Meld. When you research a unit upgrade technology, you may return a captured unit of that type to ignore all of the technology's prerequisites. You still have to afford the tech. You got to pay the four bucks for the tech secondary or six bucks for the second tech on the primary or whatever, but you skip prerequisites, which really just means we can get whatever unit upgrades we want as long as we have the captured plastic. There's, There's nothing stopping us from getting unit upgrades, which is great because a lot of times most factions like unit upgrades because of like bonus movement and stuff it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to tap easily into uh it's it's quite convenient i love rift meld actually it's kind of my favorite thing that cabal can do essentially yeah um i also just want to cut in real quick to say uh to reiterate something um because this is there's always a lot of questions about the uh, cabal uh blockade rule yeah um and I just want to remind everybody that blockading, as far as like how it's defined right. uh, by Milty, um, who knows what Dane thinks, doesn't really matter to be honest, but <laughs> uh, blockading is strictly your space dock with enemy ships above it and none of your own ships. So people tend to ask a lot of questions where they'll be like, what about when Cabal attacks? Yeah. Like it, when is it unblockaded? Uh, basically, don't, like, just use that paradigm, basically. Combat doesn't matter, is it, essentially it, the idea. While yeah. combat is active, you both have units there. So well, this stuff doesn't, this st- stuff doesn't trigger. So, like, so, like, here's, here's the question that was, that I was asked. Um, so if someone is blockading Cabal, and then Cabal fights them for that space, does it count as blockaded through the end of right. that combat? And Milty's answer was no. As soon as there's Cabal's ships yep. in the system, they are not blockaded exactly unless they are blockaded in another system blockaded is strictly your space dock enemy ships none of your own ships yeah. um so yeah and and that can be 
you know that that that's a little rulesy yeah, there, right? Um, and it, it can be kind of a bummer for capturing because it feels like Cabal can kind of un like pretty easily kind of undo a blockade. But if you you know if you think about how it works, it's almost never going to be relevant because once the blockading is officially happening, you're getting all your captured units back. Yeah. Um, but it, what it doesn't mean is that oh, I'm blockading Cabal, that means even if they try and fight me for it, yeah. uh, I'm still blockading, so therefore they can't capture in my yeah. units. No. That is not how it works. Right. At least in that space alone, right? The advantage for other players is keeping a blockade because then other places Cabal comes to attack you. Those units, the other rule within all of this yeah. is you cannot capture something while... I mean, it's really... It, it operates the same way, but there, it's specifically written out to say, like, you can't capture something if that's if that person is blockading you. So... Right. Captured, super weird thing. Just like Dane really wanted this faction to work and had to put something in the rulebook to just force force it to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so capture mm -hmm. became a keyword. Uh, we also have one more unit ability, which is we have special space docks, the dimensional tear. And it uh, you put a little token underneath your space dock and it turns that system into a gravity rift. It is a gravity rift. In addition to that, your ships, as in the Cabal players' ships, do not roll for uh, exiting this gravity rift. And then also, in addition to that, you can hold up to six fighters uh, that don't count towards uh, capacity, which is more than the standard uh, three that a normal mm -hmm. space dock has. And the most interesting factor of these dimensional tears is they do not have the very strange production capacity rule of plus two to the planet's value. They are just a flat, five production just five it's just five it's easy it could all be this easy if we if we dreamed hard enough but ah, interesting. specifically with cabal this one just works and if anything too later this gets like boosted in an interesting way which we'll talk about when we get to their leaders but uh this is a very cool thing uh it's the 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 grav rift means everything in our home system at the start of the game has two movement just baseline like we can get stuff to extra places which means we're really great at taking equidistance or whatever there's lots of places we can get that other people can't get because we have all of this bonus movement. It does not count on other gravity rifts. We do right. have to roll for the basic gravity rift. But if we put one of our space docks on Cormund in the gravity rift system, we don't have to roll from that gravity rift because now this ability overrides the normal gravity rift. Yeah, stuff. that's annoying. That's the weird one. Guess what? That's annoying. Also, it's weird with Evera because uh, Evera like, restricts our movement, but then this adds a plus one movement. Uh, yeah or whatever or uh, the, yeah the gravity rift adds a plus one movement that we don't have to roll for which then negates the it's so awkward whatever they, these things are very odd but mostly they're very good <laughs> I, I i might be wrong but i feel like the the reading for that is on evera you would be using the grav rift not the nebula so the nebula rules don't apply if you're flying through no nebula it would is require both. you to stop it's well you can't go through it but when you're exiting it from it if you have stuff there uh, you get to leave with a plus one wow because the bonuses are still count with nebulas which is weird if you played ti3 but in ti4 you get bonuses uh your ship's values are reduced to one but then any bonuses get counted so if you had gravity yeah, drive yeah, and yeah. dimensional tear, you i get, get all that those bonuses I, I was just wondering if you could because it seemed yeah. more um consistent yeah this is kind of just a, i'm just now complaining but <laughs> it just seems more consistent with corman that it be like no i flew through the rift not and that rift yeah. overrode the nebula or right. whatever but right. You know, y'all do whatever you want. I'm, I'm just, yeah, it's y'all's game. I'm just playing it. Uh, we have a flagship. Uh, it is, it allows us to capture all 
other non-structure units that are destroyed in the system, including your own. Very neat. So this one is funny. We get it out there and we do a big fight against somebody else. We know we're going to... It's it's. This is what you use for the huge, massive fights where you know everyone's going to lose a lot, but you're going to make all of your money back. The one thing with Cabal is we make money for killing other people's stuff, but we still lose the plastic we lost in the fight and the right. flagship gets to sort of override that. The other thing that is often overlooked about this flagship it has bombardment. It's one of the few flagships with bombardment. Yeah. It's just one. It's a single roll on a five. No idea why this is this exists, but that bombardment also like captures. It is it is all units that are destroyed in the system. So when you bombard with this ship, you capture those infantry or whatever. Uh, it's very. It, this is so forgettable. It's so easy to forget that you have this one single bombardment roll from this flagship. Uh, I mean, I I respect it. Um, I feel like I don't say enough good things about Dane on this show, so I will say this. I respect the cheekiness of it. <laughs> That's all it is, is yeah. that Dane wanted there to be bombardment so that you could capture off of bombardment right. because for the rest of Cabal stuff, you don't capture right. off that. Right. Um, so, yeah, because it's got to be during the rest, combat. The devour is destroyed during combat. During so, combat. Which so you is don't stupid. Get it makes it extra stupid, though, because you're like you do have to separate your roles. Or I guess you don't actually. As long as the flagship is with dreads, all of the bombardment rolls yeah. do capture. Yeah, because that's the whole but thing. But the other dreads over there in that system sure. are not going to do any capturing. It's what, very what, odd. Whatever system you're in, if you're destroying stuff in that system, you are capturing right. it. So right. there you go. So uh, it is worth noting, too, the flagship says all other units, right. which is to say this flagship cannot capture itself. When it dies, you don't get to put it. It's not you don't become the nomad like you build this once and then like always build it for free because it comes back. No, no, no. When it dies, it will not come back into your uh, re or into your captured area. It goes to your reinforcements. You'll have to build it for eight bucks later or whatever. Yeah. It's also it, two and a five, uh, one move, uh, three capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Standard, standard, uh, standard good flagship mm -hmm. plus. Uh, an interesting effect in uh, decent bombardment. I put it in the B tier. Yeah, I like that. I build it often. I'll say yep. that much. Uh, mostly. Well, that's what the B B tier B, B tier for build. is the build B for build. Uh, this one mostly because you have the money for it. Essentially, like the, the flagship is just so often. It's like I got eight bucks here. Yeah, uh, looks like it's and I've built all of my dreads. Time for the flagship, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, our mech is standard stats, and when your infantry on this planet are destroyed place them on your faction sheet those are captured so this one's weird right i can capture this is like our flagship but only for our infantry not for our mechs yeah this there's so many weird caveats with cabal everything with cabal is like a it's it's this but it's slightly not this it's there's this one little hang up here i don't know why we can't capture other mechs i find that very odd yeah, so also it's interesting because when the mech is underneath the flagship fighting... You do capture. Well, that's called a double capture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when you double capture, uh, nothing happens, actually. It's just like just, a normal capture. But just, you do get to say double capture. Double capture. Yeah, the, the mechs, I don't... You get the mechs for free, so you have them. But honestly, I forget about this ability, basically, because it's just... It, I'm capturing it's my opponent's forgettable. stuff. It's <laughs> uh, Our promissory note is a cool one and one that confuses everybody. It's the Crucible. After you activate a system, your ships do not roll for gravity rifts during this movement and apply an additional plus one to move uh, to the movement of ships that would move out of or through the gravity rift. And just to answer the question for everybody, this plus one applies oh at the God. step of after activation. So it does not matter if the ship could not reach the gravity rift 
before using this ability, it gets the plus one to make it to the gravity rift. You can have a carrier with one movement, two away from the gravity rift, and you can go one and then use this card's plus one to get to the gravity rift and then use the gravity rift's plus one to get one outside of the gravity rift. That is legal. It is okay. Dane has answered this. Do not challenge me on this. It's fine. Right. You get a lot of movement, okay? This is a very cool card that is obviously restricted to wherever the gravity rift is. Now, your space docks are gravity rifts, so people could use this on those, but generally speaking, your units are in the way. So unless they have light wave, they're not using your dimensional tears as like bonus movement. But in the late game, it is possible to get some, some extra crucible cells just because of all the people with potential light wave. I've never been to NASA, and I don't know anyone. Well, I used to know someone who now currently works for NASA. Um, and I feel like one time she was like, it, she did say that a law of the universe is mm -hmm. that if you can get to a gravity rift, you are in a gravity <laughs> rift, which is true uh, in a lot of ways about, I mean, in real life, this uh -huh. is very true. Yeah. yeah. So if, I mean, if you find yourself that you could be in a yeah. rift, you are, and it has to do with multiverses mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Doctor Strange. It's the Danny DeVito of it all. It's kind of the Danny DeVito of it all because it is kind of DeVito's all the way down. <laughs> it's funny because we also in this game refer, some people refer to command tokens as Doritos and now we've introduced like an added, I've got my Doritos and my DeVitos and just, you know, it's a good faction. That's what I'm saying. So are you suggesting that when you play as Cabal, and you activate a system, yeah. you devetoed it. <laughs> Let's talk about our I'm going to devito right now. I, this is just a production devito, though. I missed I miss transfer devitos. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Classic <laughs> Matt comment. Loved his trans transfer devitos. Because that's it. You get to place two devitos. You put two devitos down. And kind of mix better than in that? Between. Yeah. Twins, even. <laughs> uh, your agent is after another player replenishes commodities, you may exhaust this to convert their commodities to trade goods and capture one unit that has a cost equal to or lower than their commodity value. There's sort of two steps to this, and it's important to denote these. The first thing is turn their commodities to trade goods, and this is after. Now, yeah. there's a card out there that exists. It's called Trade Agreement, and when you have someone else's trade agreement, that's a when they replenish commodities you get their commodities. You take them and they become your trade goods. You take them and they're yours now. That does not stop this agent. This is fine. That player just after on the after step of replenishing commodities, they no longer have commodities to convert into trade goods. Oh, well, then capture one unit that has a cost equal to or lower than their commodity value. So the agent can still if, if someone has used someone else's trade agreement, Cabal can still get in there and get their free carrier or their free dreadnought or whatever it is. Uh, and by free, I mean their captured carrier dreadnought. Uh, this one obviously is an interesting ability because it changes depending on what other factions are in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's quite good when there's a four commodity faction in the game. You can always get a dreadnought if you want, but you can get a carrier if you prefer. But in a game with, for some reason, no four commodity factions, you just don't get to do dreadnoughts. That's yeah. just, you just don't have access to that. Uh, and I'll tell you... Those games are a little bit rougher, but also don't undervalue carriers, especially as Cabal. Carriers yeah. are great. You're going to get Carrier 2. You're going to get Fighter 2. Things are going to be just fine, okay? <laughs> yeah, and this is super important to note. I mean, you wouldn't, you really wouldn't want to miss this detail, but if Hakan gets Dynamis Core <laughs> and you use the agent on them, you do get to take their, their flagship. 
That's and that, true. I mean, if we missed that, <laughs> yeah, we'd be screamed at. What would the show even be? <laughs> what would be the point? So that, I mean, I've never seen that come up, uh-huh. and I never will. <laughs> but it's important to say it out loud so that everyone hears it. Also, important to say out loud is a sorrel could could use this. Uh, a reminder: a sorrel don't have any abilities that allow them to use captured plastic, uh, but they could trade that plastic back as part of a transaction. Yeah, they could do that. That's see, that's also very important mm-hmm. to know. And I think that when we talk like this, I realize why Space Cats Peace Turtles needs to exist. Because otherwise, who would say that Isarl could use it too, even though it wouldn't do anything for them? And it would also require all of the other agents to be bad. Be worse than this. Which yeah. is wild. That, but to I, be worse we could than set nothing. it up. Yeah. We could set it up. We could set it up, Matt. Do you want to do... Real quickly, what Real, other uh, five uh, factions? Pause, episode pause. Uh-huh. What other four agents would there need to exist for, the, for a Sarl to do this? Um, Mentak? Mentak agent. Because you can't pillage. Yep, yep. Mentak agent. Um, what? Uh, Sustain, like a barony, isn't it? Isn't barony it? agent yeah. would be good because it's combat only. Yeah. Uh, what does a soul agent do again? What about Yin. Yin, yin agent that's or not that's gonna come no the new agent does work yeah but it's also combat focused so asarl might not do that uh-huh, either uh-huh. this round you're saying just like in this round yeah yeah in it. this round this might be my best option in this round it's, i mean I best is funny but right. yeah it just you just want to use your abilities <laughs> yeah, right yeah, right uh let's see what else we got to do i mean i'm thinking about uh, uh, every lot m- i don't have my but yeah okay you can't but yep can't but without that war son huh Okay, that's there we go. we're almost there. That's four. Didn't we just do four? Barony, Yin. Barony, Yin. Muat. Muat. Mentak. Mentak. And then yes. Asarl and, and, and Cabal. Cabal. And that makes game. six. That's the game. Wow. We made it, folks. Let's get back into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the commander is, uh, the unlock is to have units in three gravity rifts, which, of course, your space docks are gravity rifts. Yeah. So get three gravity rifts, or I mean, get three space docks on the board, or... Get two space ducks on the board and find a gravity rift. I don't know. Whatever. Do whatever you want, yeah, yeah. man. Leave me alone. Leave yeah. me out of it. Or because you start with you start with one. Yeah. So you actually start with one. Just get into two gravity. Corman. Corman and the other. And the gravity rift cool. that actually adds up to three as well. That's dope. Uh, what you get for this ability is not bad. When you produce fighter or infantry units, up to two of those units do not count against your production limit. Worth noting, you do pay for the units still it's actually kind of free this is easy to forget because self-assembly you you get lots of free stuff you're like you're using captured plastic for some free units and then you get a free mech off of self-assembly routine it's actually really easy to forget that this bonus to your production limit is still units you have to pay for so just note that but obviously we talked earlier about your space docks are production five but like technically they are production seven as long as you've got the extra dollar you get to do these extra two fighters and infantry. Uh, so you should do this kind of as often as possible, uh, especially because I, I have had games where I felt uh, behind on infantry, and that really shouldn't happen uh, as Cabal. You, you, this ability means you shouldn't ever really be behind on infantry. I, I have found myself over-focusing on fighters because it's just like, ah, oh, big scary fleet's cool. But uh, don't forget that infantry are critically important to doing stuff, even if it's just what you leave behind uh, so that you can go do other stuff or whatever. Uh, so yeah, this I, I actually quite like this commander, even to the extent that people always do come asking for it. Somebody yeah. would like to buy your uh, alliance. Oh yeah. Maybe not for a lot, but somebody wants, especially, I mean like Asarls and, and Hakans of the world that maybe choose not to double dock at home and they have like a bad production capacity. 
those factions love this and you might be able to get a l- little bit more out of them. So um, I actually like this commander quite a lot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I do think that it's uh, it's well, it's kind of underrated. It's yeah. the underrated part of the kit. Um, yeah. I think it is definitely helpful. And yeah, it, it also kind of messes up the uh, unit upgrade uh, for <laughs> the faction. Actually, I would say it, it's a kind of big, kind of weird Kind of ruins it, yeah. I'll be honest. It sort of ruins the idea of Dimensional Tear 2. Right. Yeah. Uh, so our hero is as an action, each other player rolls a die for each non-fighter ship that are in, we'll come back to that, or adjacent to a system that contains a Dimensional Tear on a 1 to 3 capture that unit. If this causes ground forces or fighters to be removed, capture those. I think it's hilarious that this says in. Uh, of course it would, but if there are units in the system with your Dimensional Tear... <laughs> they can't be captured. They're blockading Yo. that dimensional tear. Now, if the dimensional tear kills all of the units in its single it's moment, unblockated. it's unblockated. Those will get captured. But if it does not, they don't. They will not get captured. It's like one of the best games ever made. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this hero sucks. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Um, it I is didn't an do it in both of my recent games. I just you forgot. just didn't even do I it. I just never got around to it. You Other things were do happening. It. I mean, you, you got to do it. No, do it's it. true. You do. You should just do it. It's just a stall, and you just, just got to do, do it. it. Uh, my I had one game where my space dock placement just got really messed up, mm-hmm. and they like I this hero would have been a single destroyer from the Argent on a one to three, like one wow. one single unit was all I was going to be able to capture. People just weren't near my stuff. Yeah, uh, so. This hero's dumb, but it is a stall, so whatever. Uh, it's fine. Sometimes, and I've seen it. We've all seen you've it. You've seen the one game where they capture like half the stuff out there, and that's wild. Trick, though, this happens generally late enough that you're not going to spend any of that. Like That's not going to be a monetary game for no, you. No, it's all about you've done killing is rem- stuff. It's killing the you've stuff. You've done killed stuff, though. Yeah, right. And, and, I mean, yeah, sometimes it can be really wild. Sometimes it, I mean, I've seen it cause people to lose yeah. because it, it killed a critical destroyer that was already activated in an empty system, and right. maybe they were going for that point or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Like it, it does. You know, it's. I think the reason it's bad is because it feels bad, yeah. and is not necessarily because it's completely uh, irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a one. It's in within one component. Yeah. We're going to a casino where the odds are low. Yeah, and that just that just don't feel good. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. It's really not that bad of a thing because it can do some pretty ridiculous massive damage. But you just don't know. You just don't know. You just really don't know. So you're not going to like build a strategy around it because again, the odds are low. So you always end up just, you just spin the wheel. You're just like, well, let's every single time I've seen someone play this hero, it is merely to see what happens. Yes. And and as the stall, it, it almost always oh, yeah, comes yeah. up specifically as the stall because you anyways. needed that stall to do to wait one more turn and and yeah. Anyways, uh, our tech, our first tech, uh, requires only one red, and we start with the red, which means we can just research this tech whenever we want. It's called Vortex as an action. So another stall. Hey, that's fun. Exhaust this card to choose another player's non-structure unit in a system that is adjacent to one or more of your space docks. Capture one unit of that type from their reinforcements. So this one's not removing stuff from the board, yeah. but you are capturing some stuff. This this is part of the actual economic engine. Essentially, Vortex and the agent make up the actual economic power of this faction. If you did not have those two components, this would be a truly terrible faction because the only way you would ever utilize your capture mechanic is just in actually attacking stuff, and that would 
not work in most games. That would that would generally not go over well. But you do have these two tools in your kit to just get free stuff. Yeah. Uh, now Vortex is tricky because they have to have their stuff near you. So mm -hmm. in the game I was just talking about, I didn't research Vortex until very very late in the game because I just had an Argent neighbor that had a destroyer near me and I was like I don't need to research vortex just to capture a destroyer right that doesn't actually serve a purpose it's a stall sure each round but I just don't I could get unit upgrades or whatever I have this I have this ability that lets me just research unit upgrades those are gonna be more valuable than the one destroyer I'm gonna build uh, or researching destroyer two or whatever yeah Arjun is like kind of the perfect example of a of a neighbor that can kind of neutralize yeah. uh, the, the how interesting this uh, tech can be in the early game but I mean, for most factions, we're talking about yep. free dreads, right. and we already get a free dread off the agent. Right. So this could cause your economy to kind of, you can look like it's round five on round three. Right. That's round two, right. you can have all your dreads out. Yeah. Wait, and not, uh, you start with one. <laughs> you get two yeah. in round one. Yeah. You, you get two, you got five free dreads yeah. uh, before, by the end of round two. It, it's quite, it's quite crazy, which is the other reason why I would say don't hyper focus on the dreads with both of these abilities because you're going to get them all out and you actually it can get annoying to have all of one kind of unit out because then you're just shoehorned into getting a specific type of unit or whatever with like all of your extra money. So I do think it's like good to just like do a dread and a carrier, do a dread and a carrier or sure. whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be kind of better for your overall goals in the mid game anyways. The main the main lesson here is don't forget about carriers. Uh, right. Yeah. You're don't... also taking those from other people. Carriers are limited more than dreads. People generally really could use all of those carriers or at least like two to three of them and taking those away from players, although usually we're spending them relatively quickly. It's it's nice to have those, I would say. Yeah. Uh, our final tech, uh, as referenced just a little bit ago, is Dimensional Tear 2, the upgrade for ours. It keeps all of the Rift stuff, uh, but now suddenly instead of six fighters uh, above our space docks, which is an ability we barely needed, it's 12. We can have 12 fighters above our space docks with no capacity. Uh, and our production is seven, which it already kind of was seven because of our commander. But so yeah. now it could be nine so sort of with nine. our commander. But that's not a very good percentage increase, basically. So we don't need the fighter thing. We don't need the production capacity increase, generally speaking, unless, I don't know, we have that one secret objective. But uh, this is not our, this is not the greatest tech in the world to uh, go for. Um we also don't start with any yellow tech and don't have a strong reason to go down yellow tech. So this is out of the way for not much benefit. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a bummer. Um, and it's not very useful. I mean, it's also not useful for that secret. Also, yeah. like you, the only way to score that secret is Cabal is to build two space docks in, in the same system. Thing. What is the, what's the value that it has to be? Oh, it has to be. It, yeah. I think it's eight or nine. Yeah, I think it's, it's more eight. than seven. I think it's eight. You're right. And your commander isn't, Increasing, Isn't production, increasing your production it's just value building past it so yeah so so Useless. dimensional tier two basically has no real purpose yeah and double that the idea that even within that secret you don't want your space docks in the same place anyways like right. there's, there's no like if you get that secret trash it it goes yeah, it's in the a garbage. bad secret yeah. for you yeah yeah you you would rather have your your space docks spread out a little bit yep. um but yeah i i think that i think their kit is is interesting and it maybe doesn't add up to a whole it doesn't add up a lot uh, to be a lot for me personally. Yeah. But yeah, dimensional tear two is uh, is trash. And <laughs> I have never seen an argument for it. It's also, I mean, it's a it's a space dock two upgrade, which means it's two yellow. Yeah. And you start with zero yellow, yeah. so just it's just a lot annoying. to, to yeah. do. So on the whole, as a faction, some of our problems. I mean, it honestly, 
There's a lot of things on paper that work about this faction, but I think our problems are that we come out on the table as a threat, and it's hard to look past that for a lot of players. Uh, and within that threat, we don't have a lot of like juicy tradables to win people over. So it's not that people are like completely stonewalling us or, or hateful towards us, but it doesn't mean anybody's ever necessarily very nice to us or, or like open armed with us we don't have very many things they want and right we we just we just have a threat towards them like we could move our big fleets close to them so they spend a lot of the game afraid of us which means they don't want to give up anything to us because we might end up using it on them or whatever you just yeah. don't get a lot of freebies or especially a lot of help if you are a player that already you know creates a lot of threat on the <laughs> yeah. table i should maybe... not be doing this guide i'm the worst person in the world yeah to talk about this if faction. you create a lot of threat just kind of naturally <laughs> by like how you talk to people how you handle yourself with others if you find Sh shout out to cody tct and elspeth who were both like i want to talk to you about nice guy cabal and I just had to kind of be like, that's great. And I'm sure it works because you two are super nice people. It won't here. It yeah. won't in my house. I'm sorry. I don't have the demeanor for it. I think it's interesting because I actually think that there's a version of the game that you would really like. That's like more space risk. Uh -huh. I think you just want to fight a lot more. <laughs> I don't want to, but I don't actually, I'm terrified of this faction. I don't want to pick fights, but when I'm at the helm of this faction, I'm like, I don't understand how else to acquire an advantage besides Fighting. fighting i don't know what else i'm meant to do uh, yeah essentially and, yeah. It, and it feels wrong not to if, when i just sit there i see all of the other economic powerhouses far exceed me and that's the bigger problem i have with this faction the problem is that you're sort of an economic faction right i get i i get some free plastic each round because i can capture stuff without even doing the fighting the fighting part doesn't have to come into it i can just vortex and use my agent and i get some free stuff but that free stuff i find does not it like just keeps up with the other factions who get really easy money there's lots of factions in this game that get rich and mm -hmm. i find myself in the mid game not that far ahead on plastic or like meaningful economies uh, or spendies or anything like that like i'm just on par with all of them and then i sort of am left thinking well what else does like what else do i have then what what are my mm. what are this faction at times feels like a vanilla faction except with some bonus movement the dimensional tear is what makes the faction feel like a different thing that I'm actually doing. All the other stuff adds up to like economics that just keep up with Jolnar, Hakan, Asarl, Mahakt, like everybody. You just you're just keeping up with all of them. Yeah. Well, what are so what are their strengths? Their then, strengths though? are that movement is ridiculous. Movement's good. It's the reason we like blue tech. It's the reason a lot of things in this game like we up unit upgrades. We're good at those too for even more movement. Like we can get places. Uh, and I said it sort of as a downside that our economy is up to snuff with other rich factions well that make that does in fact make us a rich faction i won't i won't like sidestep that idea like we we mm -hmm. have the ability to build lots of plastic and uh we can spend our planet money on other the stuff. other things yeah. command tokens and tech basically uh though i mean the one area we do feel poor quote unquote is in just actual physical trade goods we just yeah. don't get trade goods and so when the trade good objectives come up that's a pain in the butt but like that's one and 20, that's two and two and 40, whatever, uh, you know, so I, I don't love that we don't get trade goods, but you also don't necessarily need trade goods. You just have economic advantages, essentially. And so as if you're a good economic player that is, is capable at using those advantages, I think it's why we saw success with Cabal this year is all, all the Cabal wins were 
solid objective sets for them, which you know, a lot of the objectives are good for Cabal. Uh, but it was also just like I had good solid economic play. I had good plastic out there. Didn't do anything too, you know, bold or silly and mm -hmm. ended up in a good position. You can be relevant in almost any late game. Uh, I think the hardest thing can be maybe the like bonus point question, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about because uh, the, you know, the first bonus points we talk about are like custodians and stuff. And there's an interesting dilemma uh, with our ability to do like mechatol related bonus points. So on the other end, when it comes down to a question of stage twos, that also gets tricky for me. I don't know that I think Cabal is great at stage twos. I think they're great at stage ones and secrets, but I think stage twos is why they struggle to find wins as often. So I don't know because they, they, they've performed poorly in previous years, but also previous years had different faction drafting methods in the tournament that discouraged Cabal from even showing up. People were banning Cabals because people don't want to play against a play Cabal. Them. Yeah. But in this year, not only are Cabal just able to make it into drafts, there was also a weird fluke where in the qualifiers, Cabal was just making it into way too many games. Like the, yeah. the Cabal set was just turning up a lot. Uh, so that, that was a fun little uh, number thing. Uh, but yeah, I do think it's a powerful faction who can be in relevant positions I think it can be a frustrating faction to be at the helm of because it can often be a very lonely, isolating experience because no one wants to work with you. So you're just sitting there with your plastic and you're either using that plastic in mean ways or you're just sitting there with stacks of plastic and kind of waiting for the late game to tell you what to do with it all. Yeah. It's a shame you didn't have a game where you got paid off because I've yeah. played next to a Cabal player where I've made, been on the other the side threats. of it and been like, yeah, I'll just pay you off. I, I've played yeah. an Empyrean game. I think I'm afraid of doing that, and that's maybe a, uh, just a failing, uh, uh, like, to make the threats and then get paid. I think I pull the trigger more often than yeah. making the threat and getting paid. And maybe that's a that's a flaw of my Because system. you'd rather it be Space Risk. <laughs> and that's what I'm telling you. That's that's what that's what you're looking for. You want... And I, I, I kind of get it. Like, mm -hmm. I think it makes sense. It's like, who wants to play this game that's just like all political maneuvering and, mm -hmm. and nobody's actually willing to pull the trigger? You're right. You're... You're Yosemite Sam over there. I like, You're ready to shoot. <laughs> I like mid-game maneuvers. Like I like a a bold. I accomplished this objective in the mid-game that maybe I wouldn't have had access to. But that is a bad way to play. It it doesn't mean you win as often. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think you win in your heart more often. <laughs> That's definitely not true. <laughs> I I mean, maybe maybe you don't recognize it, but I think you're winning. I think you're spiritually winning almost 100 percent of the games that you've played. Um, but before we get to more talk of spiritual victories, I think we should take a quick commercial break. Get to blasting. Welcome back, everyone. I'm keeping getting get it to blasting in. I'm leaving it. That's part of it. That's how we come back in. That's our new back from the commercial break thing. All right, get to blasting in here. Get to blasting. Let's start talking about Cabal and all its wares and all its stuff. We've overviewed all of the things, and I want to do some synthesis for you. I'm going to do one thing with the strategy cards uh, conversation today. We're going slightly out of order from the standard operating procedure because the first thing we're going to talk about today is construction, because guess what? It was going to come up when we talked about every single other card anyways. So we might as well just get it out of the way. Construction yeah, is the number four card. We want to have, we want it to happen. We need that second space stock, I would say. I would yeah. call it a need. Uh, and not only do we want it to happen, other players don't necessarily 
like it being in play. We we have that SAR quality of it. And I would almost say in games I played, people talked about it more than they talk about it with SAR of like, hey, you could just take Diplo instead of taking construction or hey, you could just take warfare, whatever's at the end of the line. There is a chance that construction will not get taken because you're in the game. Yeah. And you desperately want it to be taken. So take it. Just take it. Yeah. Every time it is your number one pick if it's available for round one. I'm specifically referring. So, yeah, I mean, if you pass on taking it round one, you better have a dang good reason. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. better have it. It better be bulletproof. The, the slice idea. better just work, and yeah. you're taking... Pol- I, I don't even know. It's like, I don't even want to do politics into construction the second round, because I want to politics into leadership the next round, because right. probably... But that would... It, basically, the only reason you don't take construction is because for some reason, somebody before you took construction, which just doesn't really ever happen. Uh, so with, with that out of the way, you're probably taking construction round one. Now we can talk about the other strategy cards if you would like to, but very much can't stress enough. You're probably taking construction round one uh, yeah. with, with almost assurance. Makes so sense. the other ones though, it's not like anything else is bad for you. Uh, it's just worse than construction leadership. We're going to talk a lot about tokens uh, in this second half of the episode. Uh, we are not starved for command tokens, but sometimes it feels like we're starved for command tokens. We have a lot of reasons to use command tokens, I would kind of argue, and that mostly boils down to we have all these planets, like we might have a bunch of resources and planets, especially if we like took our equidistance, right, which is totally possible. We might have kind of a a wide slice, so we Mm -hmm. might have more money than your average person at the table. Then we get a bunch of plastic for free to build extra units. Well, we want to spend our planets first because that's value that doesn't carry over into next round. Well, within all of this, it's very easy to end around you're not going to spend any of your captured plastic yet if you don't have like enough space stocks out there. So there's plenty of times where you're like moving stuff out to go do things and then like trying to do maximum capacity builds at two of your space stocks uh, to actually get all of your money spent or whatever. That's how much money you have at the table. And it feels like a big loss of value to not get that stuff out there. The longer you hold on to all this captured plastic, the more risk it could be taken away from you from a blockade. But also just like plastic on the board is a good thing. You should be trying to build it. So you, I would say, have this like excessive need of a couple extra command tokens per round. Just even if it's literally just I'm moving this plastic out of the way of the space dock to then build in the space dock. That's two extra command tokens. I just need to better utilize my strength in this game of building a lot of plastic. Uh, And so for that need, leadership is always good. We would love a high influence slice, but also leadership is always a good thing to take. Uh, And that sort of includes round one. If it's, you know, if it's a later pick, if you're fifth or sixth pick, I think leadership is probably going to be okay. Uh, It maybe doesn't unlock any raw potential round one necessarily, but it will lead to a better round two. That's for sure. Yeah. Also, leadership in a situation where someone else is taking construction, I don't even know if this is worth noting, but yeah. in a situation where someone else is taking construction, it kind of makes sense because yep. you, you're going to need the extra tokens for secondaries, and also you want to go before the construction player mm-hmm. uh, as much as possible so that you get that optimal right. uh, placement for your space dock. Yep. Uh, next up is Diplo. Diplo is good and fine. We have a four-resource home, uh, which means that, you know, very often we can spend our home planet on some plastic or tech and then flip it and do that with a, an extra planet. You know, Diplo's not bad, but again, this is the one where it's like, yeah, but I don't know in what situation Diplo's available and something better isn't. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, I, I do think it's fine. Um, I do like uh, to be able to afford 
both vortex and like meaningful plastic round one mm -hmm. is the way I would put it. Cause my four resources at home that can build some plastic. I'm probably not making almost any trade goods. I might make a dollar if I'm X minus one or whatever. Uh, and my, my units that I capture with vortex are probably just either skipping a unit upgrade or I get like a dread for free. Right. But beyond that, I don't have much money to like build plastic, but Diplo, it'd be great to like do some fighters, a carrier and you know, everything else on top of the free dreadnought or whatever. Yeah, but you wouldn't pick Diplo over construction, so I'm not even yeah. really sure there's a situation yeah. where it would actually even make sense. <laughs> exactly. Uh, politics is sort of relevant. It, it definitely can be relevant, but here's the problem with politics. You take politics so that you can take leadership round two to take custodians. We have zero influence at home. We don't make trade goods very easily. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have six influence in our slice to spend on custodians, we're not getting custodians. Yeah. We're just not. We can't spend dreadnoughts for the influence value. Like, I, it would it'd be crazy if you could spend captured units as trade goods, essentially, or, like, as resources and influence. If it worked that way, this faction would be a very different faction <laughs> in what it can accomplish. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not that way. You only use plastic for plastic, basically, uh, which means custodians really is not that easy of a grab for us it has to be a very specific situation technically we could do it round one because we have all that crazy bonus movement we could put a space dock in front of home and now anything in our home system can make it to mechatol but we just don't have the influence so we're not really a custodians faction there's an arguable sense that we are a mechatol second kind of faction somebody sneaks in there then we jump in and capture those units and t put a hold on mechatol in some sense um, and that is fine. I don't love doing it every game because nobody likes Cabal on Mechatol. It is a, it is not a preferred outcome for the table. And if you don't plan for it perfectly, you'll probably get some heat uh, like as soon as you've done it because people don't want you to get away with it. If you put a space dock on Mechatol is the main thing I'm thinking of. If, if, if Cabal puts a five production space dock on Mechatol that can uh, like later in the game use its hero on all the stuff adjacent to Mechatol and can send that stuff from Mechatol to many, many directions... It's just a big threat that the people won't allow uh, to exist, basically. So all that to say, yeah, politics has a situation, but it almost will never come up. And again, construction uh, is going gonna, is gonna to be the thing that you take. A lot of times, too, you have to decide to take politics uh, well before you would have all of the necessary information in order for this round two yep. situation to work. So honestly, I would just avoid it. Right. I, I think it's just like a bad pick. For I mean, honestly, the literally the safest thing is to just straight up take construction. <laughs> like it's it is the safest thing, and then the other like top stuff. Uh, speaking of top stuff, trade trade's obviously good. Uh, there are worlds where Diplo is as good as trade for you financially. Um, you've got that extra movement, which means you could send like. You're, you've got a starting cruiser. That thing could get out there and get into a really nice, meaningful trade position. Uh, you, you could have a really good trade round one. Sometimes maybe it's not actually in the cards for you and it would be better to just take Diplo. Uh, that, you know, it's hard to say. The, the money, like if you can get seven bucks off Diplo and you can look at the table and be like, I'm actually only going to make like $6 off trade. I don't know. I don't know which I would go for. I mean, I guess stocking up on some trade goods is always good, though. So it's 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 tricky. I think trade's always good, though. And again, it just comes down to the like, if construction was for some reason already taken because the structure objective was out and people just wanted it, trade means I can get vortex and plastic, and that's good. So trade, diplo, kind of the same thing, honestly. Uh, warfare. Uh, this is where I don't know that I've ever agreed with Hunter's negative feelings toward warfare more. I think warfare in Cabal's hands is a 
huge, massive waste of time. <laughs> I think it's really, <laughs> really bad because you don't have any issues getting anywhere. So you don't need to like move and then lift that token and move again. You have a you have a starting to movement on everything that you have. Right. Uh, you can get a second uh, in the world where construction was taken and now we're choosing to take warfare. That means you're going to have two docks out, which means you have three movement away from everything. You have nowhere you have to get with warfare and you don't have a strong need to build back at home, lift that token and send that stuff out. Like that's mm -hmm. pro in most cases, you're going to get your best planets and all warfare is going to do is get you like Vorhall. You know, there's that one planet you don't need round one or whatever. It'll help you fill out your slice, but there's got to be a better strategy card pick, uh, especially when you can block everyone else from their potential enabling using the secondary of warfare, right? The primary primary does almost nothing for you. And the secondary is really handy because you want to use self-assembly routines uh, and just like get that mech out there and whatever else you can afford at the time warfare pops. So yeah, I really, really don't like taking warfare kind of at all. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And then finally tech, uh, which tech is like as good as your sort of dip lower trade situation, which is just to say, I definitely can get vortex. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to double tech. Don't do that. Get the early plastic. The early plastic is going to be much, much better for you. Vortex literally is more value than double teching because vortex alone is just that dread that you're. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's an argument for the double tech just because you're not going to spend maybe money on plastic. You're just spending your vortex to dreadnought, but you probably want to spend money on it. So regardless, you're I, I'm definitely going to follow the the prevailing logic that vortex is a very good tech and you want it round one. You if 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 I did play one game where I didn't vortex round one and I got it round two and it's not the end of the world but I mean it is lost value right it's it's one dreadnought yeah. in a round I didn't get and I could have uh so whatever uh and then of course no imperial whatever we're, we're not gonna talk about that but strategy card really 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 does come down to construction one point I I wrote for later in the guide but I do want to bring up right now don't undervalue construction round two uh honestly uh it's really nice having all three space stocks out not just for the commander but just in general right. getting all three space stocks is a big deal and the games where i was like you know what i think i think i can get by not worrying about that third space stock for a little bit regretted it every single time yeah uh, you want the movement even if it's in a spot you weren't planning on it being right, right. oh i didn't want to put a space stock to the left of my home system well you should it should just be there so that you at least have the option later on or whatever uh you, you don't know what objectives are going to come up in round three that might suddenly need you to have that space stock there. So don't don't undervalue construction in round two. Uh, okay, let's talk about our technology stuff. And I struggled with this one a lot because I think I always am trying to be a believer in other options of tech paths. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's my failing as a TI player is I want to try out the stuff that you know maybe isn't as efficient, but maybe there's a secret here to unlock. Right. And I always prove myself wrong. Uh, so I'm just very slowly coming to the like. Just accept that, like, blue tech is best or whatever. But in this this situation, it's not even necessarily that blue tech is best. But all, but blue tech is best. But as we covered, vortex, get it, just get it. Okay, I don't know how else to tell you this. The agent is not enough by itself to make your faction stuff worth it, and vortex is very good. Now, we said this earlier in the first half of the episode. Obviously, if like your only neighbor that's going to get anywhere near you is argent. Yeah, maybe you're not going to get Vortex round one. Maybe you will right. spend that dread on like Dreadnought two, or maybe just instead pick a carrier and get carrier two round one. I can understand that world uh, existing. I use my agent on a carrier during trade. 
And then during technology, I research carrier two so that I have some bonus movement going into round two, or even for this round, if I build a second carrier at home or something. Um, but that's the only world where I don't do vortex is when I know I'm not getting anything off of it. Uh, uh, outside of that, do it because you want it in rounds two and three and, and onward. And beyond that, it really does come down to I would focus on the unit upgrades. Uh, just just get all of the good ones. Carrier two, fighter two, delicious combo. You have this bonus cr- production capacity. You have multiple builds you're probably doing each round. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of bonus movement. Those carriers are going all over the place with huge fleets that are incredibly difficult to stop. That's like your bread and butter is carrier two, fighter two. Uh, but also everything else is good. <laughs> Cruiser two, if it matter, if it, if you can see the ways that it would help you. Yeah. Usually that's kind of my later one where I'm just like adding on a unit upgrade. PDS two, probably not of much value. You will have a couple PDS out there because you took construction once or twice, right? You'll you'll have just done an extra PDS. Sure. But you don't need PDS two. Well, you don't have a yellow, so you'd have right. to have like a skip for it. Right. You and can't, you can't capture you can't structures. Capture PDS. Uh, so outside of that, Dreadnought 2, you have Dreadnoughts lying around. I guarantee you, you have Dreadnoughts lying around because you probably wanted to use the agent on a four commodity faction. Uh, so I feel like a lot of games, you just might as well end up with Dreadnought 2. Um, and I think it helps the kit because everything that's got that bonus movement is helpful. Uh, and it's it's a bonus soak that can't be direct hitted. All of the reasons that Dread 2 is always pretty good. And it's I mean, it's basically very cheap for you to get. Uh, but don't undervalue things like Destroyer 2 because those Destroyer anti-fighter mm-hmm. barrages are capturing fighters which then just feeds your fighter too <laughs> so all all good there uh but yeah i really the best game i had is where i just did vortex and unit upgrades and literally nothing else i will give the honorable mention to everybody who likes to talk about getting sling relay going blue tech because blue tech is good get like det uh i haven't talked about it yet but cabal's really good at ending up in empty spaces actually because like i said you do want to just like clear your space stocks out Right. And you might as well be clearing your space stocks out into DET zones, basically. Makes sense. Um, so DET into Sling Relay into if you have a green skip, I would never do it without a green skip. But with the green skip, Biostims is fine, I guess. I didn't prefer it. If anything, you could just stop at Sling Relay. Mm-hmm. The awkwardness with Sling Relay is like you have a lot of production capacity already. You're not really struggling for building the stuff but it is an unact I, I recognize it's an unactivated unit or whatever but for me it's usually carry and a, and a lot of fighters or like carrier fighters and infantry so sling relay isn't necessarily benefiting that because i have to get the fighters for the carrier to be relevant to where it needs to go so the slinged carrier is only good if i've already done the prep work on the fighters which you can do i mean you, you can be a, a a preemptive fighter builds and stuff but it's just i just didn't love it and maybe it's because my brain isn't as good at it but i had a much better time with literally just vortex and unit upgrades what i do like about at the very least going down the direction of sling relay is blue tech is still good because i do think fleet logistics and light wave are obviously of extra advantageous benefit to cabal we have loads of bonus movement we've gotten these unit upgrades and i can light wave through everybody to get literally wherever we want and for me fleet logistics has a huge benefit of I the best way for me to do a fight is to send everything I've got so that I take almost no losses and I capture all of their stuff and then I'm going to build all of that and with fleet logistics I can immediately do that right I can immediately reinforce the space dock I basically just whole hog abandoned to successfully Mm -hmm. pull off this attack I don't necessarily in the late game want to leave a big opening like that because that's when people will strike on you or whatever 
Um, so I, I think fleet logistics is good. I tried an early fleet logistics in a game and the game was me playing poorly in general, but definitely fleet logistics didn't save me. So there's no need to rush for this, but I think late game, a high, like a lot of tech came out. Fleet logistics and light wave is it's definitely where you want to end up basically. Uh, so surprise, surprise, it's blue tech, everybody. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I feel like Sling Relay and Biostims could be an interesting path to take if you built cheap in the early game. Mm -hmm. So, like, obviously, Sling Relay is going to be better for, for Dreadnoughts, and if you are using your agent and using Vortex to pick up Dreadnoughts and immediately build them, yeah. then Sling Relay will not be helping you. But it could help you right. uh, catch up and augment a kind of cheap Cruiser 2 carrier fleet yep. uh, and, make, and make it hit harder by the end of the game. Um, so I think that's interesting, but you can't do, it feels like, yeah, doing Sling Relay and Bio, Sling Relay Biostims uh, absent-mindedly doesn't sound like a very good strategy. Yeah. But early on in the game, HP is kind of the winner anyways. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of all I have on tech. I, I felt like I tried things. I mean, obviously the stuff we've said about Cabal still rings true here of like, Things can just show up. I mean, it's like, you know, you're not going to pass up. If you captured a War Sun, buddy, I don't know. Yeah, get it. You can probably afford it. Because the thing with War Sun is you, if, if you manage to capture a War Sun, you skip to teching it, and then you've got, uh, you probably have 12 bucks. I mean, it's, it can be hard to have that exactly in plastic, but all of your other units are in theory free. So right. all of your money can go towards that uh, War Sun. But I, I just, I've not, it doesn't come up often enough. It's not, it's not actually a relevant factor. The, the Cabal Muat games are too few and far between. And uh, nobody else is getting War Suns early enough for it to matter. Let's talk more about our trade game. What are we buying? What are we selling? Uh, well, what we're selling is not a whole lot. We sort of talked about it earlier. Of course, the Alliance. People do genuinely love it. If you can get a bidding war going for it, it can't happen. Like, it's going to be over nickels and dimes, but you should court the table i i in multiple occasions on ttpg had pe had multiple people whispering me for it which meant the stock was going up on on the alliance you sold it bit. for straight up cash or what do you mean well i think generally it, it can be favors i mean it, it definitely can be worth cash uh because for the person buying it it's the idea that they're going to afford to get more of their fighters or infantry out right that's worth two one or two bucks if the bidding war is going up or whatever for for like a for a Jolnar that wants to increase their production capacity and they have money lying around, I can get cash out of a Hakan or a Jolnar. Uh, I think you would need to you would need to that to be early, right? Because yes. how many builds are we talking? You know right. what I mean? Like right. so in order for this to if they're gonna spend even one, that's one that they would have used for uh, you know, infantry slash fighters. That's the other reason to not neglect uh uh construction round two. It's not like you personally need to rush for your commander. You don't need it. Your your production capacity is fine. Especially but, if you have three space docks. Right. But if you don't get those three space docks down, you don't unlock your commander. And until your commander is unlocked, your alliance is useless. And to Hunter's point just now, the later it unlocks, the less uses anybody's getting out of it. So there is definitely uh there's there's definitely like a time limit on when you can sell it. There are factions out there though that are like extra special with it. Titans. Their, their PDS uh, that only have a one production capacity suddenly gets increased. Your uh, your Argent flights out there with uh, Airy Hollow Lattice that can only build a little bit in this like thing with mm -hmm. a PDS on it, but you can boost it up a little bit. They they really really like this, but I also argue those are like the last two factions that um, need 
<laughs> to have access to that much more extra power, especially in Titans uh, case. I don't I don't think you need to be giving extra infantry to Titans necessarily. Uh, what else are we selling, though? The two commodities feels really rough and Crucible is just such an interesting little card. Uh, I had a game where it was popping off. Uh, there were there were two gravity rifts on the table outside of my stuff. And people wanted to use it. Now it's sort of like Empyrean, where it's like, yeah, I mean, hopefully you're charging a buck for people to like get that bonus movement or whatever. More often, you're probably trading it for favors, or even worse, is the sense that you really just want that person to do that thing. So you're giving up the Crucible so that they can do that thing because it's it's hurting the player you need to get hurt right now or whatever. Yeah. You should try to get some money for it, but honestly, it really is worth just its own potential of of other people hurting each other or doing things with it. Uh, if you're just giving away like points that aren't conflict, you should definitely be getting paid for it uh, is the idea, though. If, if it's just for someone to reach malice that's undefended or something like you, you should get you should get some money for it. And again, it's so situational. But like I did have a game where it, it was going very, very well. Yeah, I, I think it's tough because this type of component uh, is a lot of times the other players have a better idea of how they're going to need to right. use it than it will be obvious to you. Yep. Um, so a lot of times, you know, it kind of depends on them to figure out, you know, that <laughs> that they can buy this from you. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I think that as long as you're remembering to just kind of throw it out there, like, hey, I have Crucible, yep. you know, like that's something, I haven't sold it, I still have it in my hand, that right. type of thing. Um, maybe every once in a while someone will that will trigger them to to yeah. think, hey, actually, if I bought Crucible from Cabal, I could do X objective. And obviously, if there's a public objective that you feel like could make something scorable for somebody, yep. uh, and you just see all of that, yeah, I mean, like, it, the best situation for any promissory note is this gets you a point, and I give you the note, yep. you know? Right. Um, what sucks about that type of negotiating, though, is that you're generally limited by what they can pay. Yep. Because everybody... You know, everybody wants an objective, right? But if we're if it's round two and we're talking about a tough control objective, yep. and I say I want five trade goods for this, nope. and they have three, yeah. then there's no way to do that. Yeah, you know exactly. the The most useful way this got used actually is where we just decided to myself and a neighbor of my neighbor went whole hog, and I was giving it to them for free because the two of us were going to eliminate a sorrow, and we were gonna share their slice. Uh, crucible with the right position uh, of a uh, gravity rift that's your win slay material because I think the reality or not win slay your 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 elimination material cabal by itself is not going to go doing any just like eliminations but if you can team up with someone you can accomplish things but it requires this kind of bonus movement because nobody right. else has the early movement that you have in the way that you like maybe titans but most people don't have enough gumption to get into where the like the big important places you need to get into with the number of units you need uh, and crucible enables that for sure. So uh, it, it, it is something to at least keep an eye out. We, we squeamish emu shout out to you. You are a true, a true, a, a real one because we eliminated you like second action around two. You did not deserve it. You're like the nicest person I've ever played with. And we did you dirty uh, and you took it like a champ. But uh, yeah. I could have told you that I didn't even watch it. I, know. I don't even need to watch <laughs> but, it. And you I know, know Squimu <laughs> took it quite well. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, that's that's a real guy right there. Yeah. You know, uh, the other the only other thing that uh, I, maybe you should have you think you can sell, uh, but you can't is the agent. 
nobody cares. Don't tell me what, you... never tell me what I can't do. <laughs> okay, John, John Locke. Uh, the, the, the only thing that this does is gets you the dread. It's worth it for the dread. So you're just using it on somebody. Okay. There's no deal that can be made here. Uh, round one, like maybe that four commodity faction had no way to get any other neighbors and you're their only way to refresh it. But also that means like you're probably not neighbors with them. You're asking them to owe you a dollar or something. You're not getting immediate money for using this agent on somebody in most situations because the flip side of it is just to like wash their commodities anyways. And this is worth a dread for you or this is worth a carrier for you. And mm -hmm. they know that. So they're not going to really pay Everyone can just come to the negotiating table and go, well, you're going to do it anyways, so I don't care. Uh, and I'll probably get my money somewhere or not. It, yeah. it doesn't really matter I mean, to flipping me. your commodities is not hard. the difficult part. Right. That's not the hard part. Um, this is a, a tricky interaction, of, or at least a funny interaction, that we had come up in one game with Dark Pact, uh, which is just like you can kind of meddle with Empyrean's business. More than anything, you might, if, if there's only like one other four commodity faction, you at least have the potential to make sure those two four commodity factions aren't uh, floating each other's boats too much, Empyrean and the other four commodity faction. I did this to ghosts, basically, in my game. I said, listen, y'all could do... Well, they actually, they came to me and said, you could do this. And I was like, I mean, I guess I'll do this if you want me to make that threat to you. And then we sort of carried it out through this. Why the game. can't they just but, do TA first, though? Like, I don't understand. Because then that's not them giving the commodities, right? Doesn't... Does TA not trigger... I don't know. The dark pack. Well, I now, thought... now you're calling the whole thing into question. I'm going to leave this in this question mark because the they're the ones who brought it up as a as a, a problem situation. Couldn't for this them. just be? Oh, you're going to do that? Okay. Well, I give my TA to Empyrean, right? And now that Empyrean will just flips trigger it. it. Like... But I don't think that counts as you giving it. It count. They just gain the trade goods, and the dark pact is when you give your commodities to the Empyrean, as opposed to trade agreement taking them. Yeah. So th they could just give the TA. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll cut all this out, but uh, boy, that makes oh, but I but oh, so I don't get any credit for getting a rules thing right. Okay, well, I don't get you get, I, you I, can get I, it. I, I want right. right. you I, get it. You earned it. Everybody, you, you earned this. One. Yeah, there are still people that listen to the show. I think you don't know that the make rules. jokes where they're like, yeah. "Oh, Hunter doesn't know the rules or whatever," <laughs> and it's like, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know about that. Y'all ever heard of Malcolm Gladwell? Y'all know anything about ten thousand hours? <laughs> Y'all know anything about 10 years, 10,000 hours? You know what that makes me? I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it on the show, but uh, y'all should, you know, do a little bit of Googling, okay? Uh, time into thing equals certain yeah. aspect in your life, okay? So... I'm just saying. Oh, man. Uh, what are we buying? I didn't write down specific, like, alliances uh, or things uh, because we just so rarely have, like, trade. We, we rarely have the funds with which to buy. But I suppose also there's the thing we talked about earlier from Hunter's perspective, which was the, like, well, you can uh, negotiate with a heavy stick, with a big stick, right? I, I, I can make threats and make some money. Um, and while it's not something I did because I'm afraid... Uh, it certainly makes sense because you always have the potential to do it and a braver player than I would easily, I think, make those threats and either cash in on them or get the money uh, paid. But beyond that, it can be hard to like just be out there buying other stuff like buying yeah. a research agreement. I found incredibly difficult at a table of like any other faction who can afford stuff. Basically, it's, it, it's really hard to get that. It might be hard, but also I feel like as Cabal, you can always like seed if you if you pick construction yeah. early then 
you sort of get to choose like an equidistant that you can expand to. And then right. from that equidistant, you can maybe even get up to more business that might be nasty. Right. So I, I and I'm speaking from the perspective of someone playing as Cabal's neighbor. Yeah. I've been in situations where it made sense to cut Cabal deals in order to uh, sort of motivate them yeah. for, for to allow me to have a normal uh, slice. Yeah. You know, like, basically, if, I mean, Empyrean's a good example. I think this is also true of Hakan, though. If it's early game and you are their neighbor, then it really is kind of up to Cabal, like, how well your early <laughs> game is going to go. Yeah, and yeah. I find that that is a pretty good negotiating chip, yeah. especially if you're not too greedy with the amount of extortion that right. you're looking for. I think that's the key factor. A lot of people go way too far. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, I have this plastic advantage, and that means I can ask Give me your for support anything. for the throne. I think uh, my my current trading policy across the board is I am looking uh, for, uh, I'm just going to call them cookies, Yeah. and I want a cookie, uh, and I want uh, it to happen frequently. Right. Because I actually think that, that many deals of, low, of lower stakes, of lower gain, Yeah seems to be a way of accruing a lot of money without the table noticing. Yeah. Because the other thing is, there's, you know, deal happens between two players. Well, there's four other players. And if you, you know, no matter how cool it might be to be like, I'm taking your home system unless you give me six trade goods. Right. And it's like, all right, buddy. Right. Very cool. But then you get six trade goods. All right, cool. You got six trade goods. Did you, like... Like, what did you gain as far as enemies across the table yeah, now? Right. You know? Right. That's tough. Yeah. I, but if you're just like, oh, what about four trade goods? Yeah, like, if you right. just say, what about four what trade about goods? What about for a buck? What it about for a buck over and so over? So many things in this game are actually just worth $1, and we always want them to be worth more, but actually getting one buck here and there and there and there and there and there Dude, is great. I'm <laughs> all about do that. <laughs> I'm all about the people just like buck. you and you've made all the same money that you would have made from one big threat, basically. Yeah. And yeah. they also don't think about it too long yeah. because you don't need you you don't want them thinking about it yeah. too long. The the longer somebody thinks about this trade, the more they're gonna try and optimize it. Yeah. But if you just ask for a buck and they look at their thing and they're like, Oh yeah, I guess I only need like two of those yeah. for the objective. So I have like two left over. Right. Um yeah, I just give them the buck, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I that that definitely tracks with even just how I was as Cabal and other factions were wanting to do stuff that I felt mildly threatened by. It could be anything. It's just like a, how often can you just like sell the timing of a strategy card for a buck, right? I mean, this, sure. I think this goes across the whole gamut of, of negotiations. Like, like you were kind of saying this, this is just a truth of trading and should be true for how Cabal handles its, its big sticks that are sitting all over the table. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that mid game. Then I want to reiterate my point here of your your stick is more threatening and easier to to manage if you've gotten all of your space docks out okay you you need to have each of them on the table uh because it's the only way you have the options you need to have when you just have your home space dock and the space dock like in theory right in front of your home system if that's the way your slice is shaped that's great that's a good little bonus but it doesn't give you actually that much more raw potential that gets you into equidistance and like into mechatol but where you really open up your possibility spaces wherever that third space dock goes in previous guides i think we really focused on like what exactly like should it go in the equidistance should it go adjacent to mechatol rex should it go on mechatol should it go on malice there's like a lots of like really important like feature places your third space dock yeah can like go. how do you set it up yeah i don't think about that stuff anymore it doesn't, it, matter. It doesn't matter just just get it there so that it's 
A, adjacent to more stuff for Vortex. That's the biggest thing. The space dock in your home and right in front of your home system are not adjacent to enough stuff for Vortex or your hero to ever be relevant. Sure. You have to get that third dock somewhere relevant so that it's even doing the thing. That's why it's fine if it's just the space adjacent to Mechatol because someone's on Mechatol, two people are adjacent to it, whatever. Like, that's fine and dandy. But getting in those equidistance, you're going to be able to hold them generally. And yeah, I just don't want to delay getting the third space dock out. I, I genuinely think it's worth just taking construction round one and round two uh, because you're, you've got a good economic engine you weren't going for custodians. There's not other things you're up to, generally speaking. You've got the movement to get most control objectives that are that come out early. There's obviously some awkward ones that are going to come out, but like you either are going to be able to do those or you're not, and you're going to see that kind of at the top of the round. Um, so I really think your focus is getting those space docks out, and then that really makes your mid-game coast. And also, again, having all three out gives you more options for, I you know, I want, ideally, I would only do one build per round, but you literally have more money than that. You will right. always have more money than that. So you're almost definitely going to do two per round. And honestly, when I only had two space stocks, it was annoying that my two builds could only go right there. Right. Like, that's what was the pain in the butt. So having that third space stock is at least like, I've got these options now yeah. of where these two builds are going to go. Well, and you want to get that pain out of your butt. Yeah, I need you know it what I mean? out of my You've butt. You've got a pain in your it's butt. too much you pain to get in my it butt. Out. Yeah. Doc, <laughs> what do I do here? Is what you're just saying. <laughs> You're like, Doc, I got a pain in my butt. How do I Space Doc, I don't want to dimensionally tear my butt, so how do I get it out? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, also, within all of that is, is like we've said, it, it can genuinely be difficult to spend all of the money the way that you have it. Uh, yeah. I, I have found that to be like an annoyance of playing Cabal. Is like I'm sitting here on wasted opportunity. Very often I get close to the end of the round, and especially if I have a bad token economy, mm -hmm. I... I'm like, oh no, I don't know if I have enough tokens to do the build that spends the rest of my planets, let alone the plastic that I have captured. Like, I have to get these planets spent. It is really, really unfortunate when you end up with, like, an all-resource, no-influence slice. That right. leaves a Cabal very stranded. Uh, but very often, what I will say in the mid-game is, if you've got Quan, and that's a 2-1, uh, but that one influence gets you an extra command token with something else, spend that. Yeah, spend spend like overspend resources on influence for sure, because the command tokens go a lot farther and you're probably going to have difficulty spending those planets before the end of the round anyways. So always over prioritize command counters uh, over resources because you really just don't need the resources. You're going to be fine. Yeah, ideally you're you're ahead on plastic so you can devote more of your raw numbers uh, to you know other things like tech and 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 tokens makes sense in this area we normally talk about like agendas and stuff uh i've only got a couple to bring up uh that are relevant to uh how cabal feels about the agenda phase uh i mean in general you are probably low on total influence for voting uh that doesn't mean you don't get in on votes people are not like they're fine with you tacking on your votes to whatever they've got sure going yeah on. you're not like necro yeah <laughs> exactly uh but you know, you're not controlling any agenda phases, but if you can help it, I've got at least two I want you to uh, avoid, and they're pretty obvious, uh, or at least the first one's very obvious. Regulated conscription uh, is the agenda that says, Law 4, when a player produces units, they produce only one fighter or infantry for its cost instead of two. This is a big way to negate kind of like what we're specifically good at, which is this production capacity thing. I mean, we still have the capacity and we still have the money, but it's it's 
clearly very annoying. The biggest reason this one's not a big deal to me, though, is the against is no effect. It's rare that I see this law pass in any game. Sure. Honestly, yeah. uh, nobody really wants the and then four when to people, happen. When it does pass, people forget to even do it because it's just hard <laughs> right. to even. It's such a minor thing. Yeah. I, I like don't begrudge anyone for like forgetting <laughs> that this is a law in play. Yeah. Like I really don't. Yeah. And I know there's there's times when it's come up and people have realized that they've been basically cheating the whole time. Yeah. And like, I just don't care. It's to like, be that, honest. That was worth what? Three dollars? <laughs> there's okay, a great. handful of agendas like that yeah. where I'm like, just this is too out. hard to remember right so like i just it's not that it's regulated conscription i actually think is a cool idea yeah but to be it being too hard for players to remember is a valid reason to mm -hmm. not have it in the game mm -hmm. it's, it's something that i've come around to yeah uh the other one i don't like is fleet regulations well i say don't like there's a there's a direction i like quite a lot <laughs> the four is each player cannot have more than four tokens in their fleet pool and mm -hmm. against as each player places one command token from their reinforcements in their fleet pool you super want the against uh your advantage is not like a barony advantage where it's like, oh, I have this secret extra yeah. stuff or and, and your units don't hit any harder than anyone else's. Right. You want to attack with overwhelming force, yes. not four ships. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So you, you really need fleet regulations to not pass so that you and you need the token economy to support getting more than four in fleet supply, which usually, you know, maybe doesn't happen until the, the late game. I mean, it's like a round five decision when I finally sort of like stockpile my fleet supply but i always wish i could manage that better throughout the game yeah uh basically so yeah th those are the only two agendas i think i specifically care about and are and are important honorable mentions i just want to note that this is a guide where we are not specifically talking about that mech agenda i know yeah it doesn't matter <laughs> who cares it, it you really don't care it's really if if i if i ever play with a cabal that is getting all huffy uh -huh. about that mech agenda i'm gonna be like come on buddy yeah like it's just not that <laughs> it's just not this a doesn't big. affect you, you you are most of the mechs have cool abilities yeah. that are useful you, not cabal right it's just not an important part of the you kit. know what's another one that i um i i misplayed a game where i was not investing enough in ground forces i was doing a bad and i think that's a bad job i think a, a reminder for people in the mid game is and i said it earlier talking about the commander mm -hmm. build infantry like make sure they're getting out there but I've noted that within these agendas then is the stuff that kills infantry, in theory, you should be in a position where that's not a big deal to you. I can do in one build, I can just build seven infantry. Like right. it's not going to be a big deal at all for me to get those infantry back. Uh, you, you should be in that position. I had games where I was not in that position. I was over investing in fighters and under investing in infantry. But like a swords to plowshares where I can make a bunch of money off those infantry that's like one of my only ways to get reliable trade goods and I can get those infantry right back relatively easily. So I would say those like infantry or like killing stuff ones are ones you're not afraid of. Those don't worry you in the way they might worry other players and you might really weaken some other people's defenses in a way that you can really take advantage of uh, that that is worth keeping an eye out for at least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, let's talk about our, our end game, our, our sort of victory point situation because I think I've... I've definitely spent a couple weeks being like down in my heart on this faction and uh, and in, in sitting here today, like prepping it with Hunter. I think I came into us talking about it. Of like, I don't think this faction is very good. And the longer we talked about it, I don't have like specific things I can point to of why the faction is bad. Yeah, I have specific things I can point to why the faction feels bad to play and to mm -hmm. be sitting at the helm of. Uh, I don't I don't think it's always a fun faction to be. But there's not very much on paper that makes this not work. You are good 
at stage ones and secret objectives, like almost all of them. Control objectives, especially in a round one scenario, like you can score most of those objectives round one because you can get into the positions you need to get to to acquire all of the control things you need. Especially, I will say, I'll make extra mention of uh, that space-related control objectives. We're like great at. We can always just chuck cruisers and dreadnoughts into areas and win the fights and and not have that easily retaken, right? It's it's easy for us to survive uh counterattacks in just like empty spaces. The like planet control objectives, you got to plan a bit more, but you definitely can do most of them. Obviously structure objectives, we're great at unit upgrades, like all those things. We don't love things like two and two colors maybe. Sure. Uh but beyond that, like we're good at this stuff and we're good at getting a support partner. Like we're definitely good, you know, in, in some groups you might be good at extorting a support out of somebody who didn't want to give it to you uh, and just have a one-way support. That's not my groups that I play with, but it's definitely out there as a possibility. I, I think where we struggle is in the 10th point. Basically it, it can be hard to specifically find that 10th point. We were looking through like tournament videos to see like what was going on with all the cabal wins this year we didn't look at all of them but like almost every single one we looked at it was like well yeah okay that objective set is sort of just like a per and like seed came out or Mutiny there was a lot out. of exceptional yeah. stuff yeah that, that that was like well this isn't necessarily a great cabal position this is a great position yes overall right that was something that i would say was a little bit disappointing in the prep for this episode was right. that we did not find some sort of through line yeah and i'm not no shade at any of the players that won as cabal right um, it, yeah, what I'm basically saying is I think a lot of these people won because they're that they, they have, they had that high skill level and then things were going well. Right. It's, it's That's, that part of skill, part luck yeah. kind of thing, but in no way was there any kind of through line of like, well, clearly Cabal wins when they do X. Yes, exactly. That is not something. Well, we and, found. The, and the big, big thing is to sort of also flip that script is to say when the, the luck comes out on your side. You're hard to stop. You have a one planet home system and your slice is covered in plastic. Yeah. Uh, and not just like above your planets, but like we I've been saying all day, you're moving stuff out into like adjacent sort of en empty spaces and just mm -hmm. parking stuff there. You don't just have gum. You have a dreadnought and two cruisers sitting there. You have <laughs> so, like multiple fleets. Yeah. People aren't cleaning up your stuff easily. So you're you are actually extraordinarily hard to stop. So in the games where that bonus point really just like reveals itself easily or whatever. You're in a strong position. Um, you're not like a big, I can take politics every round. Uh, although we don't have like a strong tech need, right? We don't have to take tech in the mid or late game. Mm. So you definitely could work yourself into just like, you know what? Just go ahead and do it. Just play the speaker game. But uh, also the meta's gotten weird these days. Pe people really don't care about the speaker game because everyone recognizes something's probably going to mess it up <laughs> later anyways. So why, why exert? too much effort into it um but i do i i think that we are in a really solid position if things go well but it just can be difficult to find that like other thing to come up you're you're you right. really are looking for a uh someone else to get shard and you to go steal it for your 10th point kind of mm -hmm. situation uh, and those those situations definitely came up for me i i had a game where i wasn't able to take it but if that had been my only way out and I like I could have set up for it for sure. I could yeah. have taken warfare and gotten in there and had enough plastic and movement to get there. Right. So there's there are ways to accomplish those kinds of goals. Um, but like the game has to present itself to you. But to talk about stage twos, because that's really where the other thing, you know, wh where if you can't get bonus points, what do you need? You need stage twos. 
and I do think it's it's a bit more difficult for them to accomplish all of the stage twos. Um, structures on five planets outside of your home is even kind of wacky because it's like, well, I got my two space docks outside of my home, but I, I didn't go hard on PDS outside right. of that. I stopped. Yeah. I stopped at four. I got a space dock and a PDS and then a space dock and a PDS and then I was probably done or whatever. And, and I think in general, that's true of a lot of the stage twos where they're all just past our limit on like how easy they are to necessarily do for us um i mean they're some of the control ones are probably easier for us than a lot of people right mm-hmm. but uh i think it comes down to those are always hard i guess and i don't see the inherent benefits we have towards them i, I don't see us like the big issue i kept running into is and i've talked to plenty of times about it but like we we have this economic advantage but what i felt the the story I'll tell, I'll make it anecdotal rather than like some sort of grand statement. I played a game and it was my best game. My best game was one where I went hard unit upgrades mm-hmm. and, no- and nothing else. And, and it just felt like a tight game. Um, but my opponents were like the five best other factions in the game. It was just like Jolnar and Titans and Isarl and Mahakt and I don't remember who the, what the last one was. But in that situation... I saw that my plastic advantage was not that notable compared to theirs because Jolnar's making hand over fist. It was, oh, it was Necro. So it was a Necro Jolnar just making bank off of each other. Isarl was getting all over the place. Like, I did not feel richer than everybody else. So then when stage twos came into question, I didn't have some sort of plastic advantage. My advantage had merely helped me keep up with factions with normal economic advantages. If I compare my agent and vortex, let's say that's worth seven bucks around a carrier and a dreadnought. I just alternate back and forth. Every round I get a carrier and a dreadnought. Okay, I get seven free dollars per round. Mm-hmm. How much money does Hakan just make for free each round? It's probably about the same. It's about just seven bucks. Hakan just accrues out of nowhere. Jolnar, right. similar situation. So I'm not actually getting ahead of any of these factions in my ability to produce this plastic. I, I am merely on par with them. And so then in the end game, my plastic just feels the same as theirs. I can't just bust through all of their stuff because I don't mm-hmm. actually have a plastic advantage. And so then the control objectives don't feel me. You're right. Being as good as Hakan does sound <laughs> bad. That does sound like a just, you're right. You need to be like better than Hakan in you order just for don't, it to be you good. You don't have a QDN. You don't have a trick at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You don't have an Asarl stall fest. You don't have a Mahawked unlocking token. You don't have... The final push. You just have the plastic that you have. And if that's not enough, there's nothing else that can be said about it. You're just going to hope situations arise that give you an out. But you, you don't have some way to force the issue as Cabal. I think they're the POK equivalent of... Uh, I think we've, we've talked them down too much on the show. Mm-hmm. Because I think they're kind of the POK equivalent of Barony of Letnev. Yes. Where you are playing vanilla Twilight Imperium yep. with... At with no like closer mm-hmm. you know like it's like this isn't bad right. none of this is bad i don't think i don't think anything about barony is bad right there's just not a closer there's exactly. not that thing that takes you from doing great to doing awesome to winning yeah yeah, yeah. i i i agree and, and i mean the 
the the proof is that they did just fine this tournament. Like they did they did in fact great this this tournament. They are a good faction. Yeah, well we investigated. It's not like <laughs> it wasn't it's not the same thing that some, could that could yeah, it's not some freak show a faction. A lot that of those game off. states could have happened with other right. factions. I, and and winners of those games if you got cuz it's not like, you know, it's not like we watched every game or Sure, whatever. I didn't watch We it. we were we were taking in the game state. We were looking at it. Uh, if if you got something to add, if you won a tournament game yeah. uh, this year, uh, throw it on in. Throw it on into the errata. Uh, if there's something we missed that you felt like, I did this as Cabal, and I think that's why yeah. I won. And it's a specific Cabal thing, mm-hmm. not just a TI thing, not just a you played good thing. Right. You all played good. But this is, the, you know, this, there's no shade here. It's more just like, what... You know, what about Cabal made it so that you really, you know, Shine. clinched it? Shine. Although, I, I mean, I think the thing is, if, if I could try to answer my own question, what I would say is it's probably just the difficulty to slay thing. Yes. Yeah. And More I mean, I think that's kind of it, but that doesn't, but then how do we get to 10? Right. Really? So. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't answer the 10 point question. It answers the, the if I get closer. to 10, I win. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, I want to thank our weird bears, Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish Emu, Pope Billy the Second, Brassbird, Kabbalah Soul, Kaluan, Daryl, Jadim, Jedi, Carnal, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, Emleshevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky M44, Rwise, and I want to thank our Teensy Sprouts, Kraken, General Pith, Kirkules, my son is also named Bort, Savant, the Wild One, and Vince. Hey, I also just want to thank the people on the Discord for the past couple weeks being, like, incredibly nice about the last three weeks of episode. I know it's been like kind of a, uh, maybe a very different style of Space Cats show. The right. last three weeks, right. it's been RPG, then that really sort of wild episode 300, and then another RPG. Uh, but everyone was really nice about yeah. all of that. Yeah. And it meant a lot uh, to know that like, People really dig other stuff that we can do. So just yeah. like, thanks everybody for being so cool about that. Thanks for being nice. We're not really used to that. So <laughs> try it, you know, if, if you can think about, you, I mean, you, you're welcome to do it more if you want. Um, I got a special shout out I have to do um, because, so I've been on tour yeah. uh, and it is now over. Right. I, ho- we, I hope we've remembered to disable that thing, that ad. <laughs> it is, we it turn is that off. Okay, good, good. Um, and and let me tell you, the tour went great, but I am going to tell you a little bit of bad news that's going to make it sound like the tour went awful. But let let me let me before I tell you this, let me <laughs> let me couch this in the idea that it it went very well. I am a I have reasonable expectations for comedy, and we made a few mistakes with scheduling. Like for example, <laughs> I don't know if you know, but right now the weather is amazing. And if you've been doing comedy for a long time, like I have, I've been doing it for about eight years, you would know that in the summer, it kind of, it kind of gets, it gets tougher. It gets tougher to get people to come out. But we actually had people come out to a lot of shows. We were super, uh, especially the Chicago show. Thank you so much, Chicago, for coming out. Everyone that came out to that show, y'all blew my mind. Somebody brought, somebody printed out the Omega Gamma Mama and had me sign it. (laughs) Also, so funny, this guy, he was in the back of this show. That is a comedy show, uh-huh, by the way. We uh-huh. did not talk board games, yeah. okay? And he just kept unfolding it and showing it to these comedians that didn't know what it was. <laughs> they kept being like, on. "What is what's, what does that guy have <laughs> in the back? Why, what is that? It's a big, it's a giant Gamma Mama. Let and, me explain. <laughs> and I did, no, and I yeah, didn't no, explain of course it to them. Not. I was like, it's Gamma Mama Omega, dude. What the heck is your problem? Um, but, okay, so here's the bad news. 
So the Indianapolis show, yeah. uh, the Indianapolis Helium show did not work out. Now, my plan was to never speak of this on the podcast <laughs> at all. My plan was like, you know what? I mean, p- people don't know how comedy works. I don't want to. I, I don't want to sound like I messed up. Yeah, but we did kind of mess up. We picked a bad weekend. We didn't know how many Space Cats people lived in Indy. Right. Because of Gen Con, Gen we were Con like, I don't know. The numbers. Gen off. Con just makes it so that, and we had an in at that club, so we went for it. Um, guess what? None of y'all live in Indianapolis. I guess. <laughs> um, and and if you do, I, I you probably had better things too because the weather was, was nice. Yeah. One person. <laughs> That does not live in Indianapolis uh, is our, our our dear friend and listener, Mate Nason. Oh, no. Mate Nason messaged me on the day of the show. No, Mate. And I am, and on this day, I am, instead of driving to the show, because obviously the show was canceled, the, the club canceled the show. Not Hunter, not I, Jake. I did not, I, yeah. we, did, we did not move to, to can- I I would have gladly done the show for whoever was there. The problem is that a comedy club will, instead of doing a show, if they feel like they're not going to make enough money on it, they will they will cancel the show if they think they're going to lose money. Um, and so they did do that. So I get a message from Mate Nason while I am driving te- for 10 hours from Chicago to Arkansas, and it just says, your show in Indianapolis is canceled? And at first I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah I mean, so- sorry. And uh, he was like, well, we just drove three hours to see it, oh and we're in Indy now. Gosh. And they sent me photos. It was Mate Nason and his wife, and they sent me photos of them crying outside of the club. <laughs> and I felt so bad. And then they they were just at a bar, and it was said that it looks like they went to a really cool uh, uh, arcade. I wonder if that's Boss Battle Games. Uh, I don't know what oh, arcade that is, but but uh, I was sent some some pictures. I owe Mate Nason a lot. Thank you for. For being a, a true one, a real fan. I hope you'll be at Gen Con. I hope we can see you yeah, there. Yeah, and I, I am so sorry uh, to have to have done that to, miss, uh, to yeah. you. For someone to drive three hours to not to Indianapolis to Indianapolis oh, uh, to not even do a comedy show. Also, on behalf of my buddy Jake Silberman, who I was doing, uh, who I do a lot of comedy with, um, he was more more mortified about this oh, than really? I was. <laughs> he was freaked out. Mate Nason, when I tell you that I was like, dude, one of the Space Cats fans came all the way out to Indy just to find out the show was canceled. He was like, no. He was I he was almost inconsolable. Yeah. I had to be like, no, dude, it's it's gonna be okay. We're not but to him, he was like the idea someone of letting came to someone, see me. Yeah, yeah, someone came to see me, and I feel that way too. I feel yes, bad, of course. Um, but uh, I mean, but it was also kind. Of, let's be real though; it was also kind of funny um, that I tricked Mate Nason into going to Indianapolis in non Gen Con uh, season, which was in non Gen Con season. Rough. Which means he's probably going to be going back to Indy. Congratulations on your twice. No, you to burned Indy it. You one... burned the bridge. I, I'll never go oh, to Indianapolis I, again. <laughs> I really hope I haven't. But uh, seriously, many apologies. Um, I am going to make it up to both of you, however you. I can. I will make it up to is you. Is this a narrow cast enough? Specific, Hunter's now specifically. I'm just talk- no. I love everybody it. else out. I'm yeah, talking yeah. to Mate Nason and Mate Nason's Everyone wife. Everyone else that's it. needs to know how cool Mate Nason is. That's yeah. the, the, the the cool story guy. Here. Had, uh, was running a really great YouTube channel yeah. for a while. It's still up. You can check it out. Yeah. Uh, it's called Mate Nason's Menagerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of cool stuff there. Yeah. Uh, Love and uh, you know what? Maybe, hey, mate, Nason, you should get come back hang, on that. Why not? Why not do that again? Come hang out. With do you me. need guests? We'll come on. <laughs> we sure. will come on your YouTube channel. Yeah, I don't care. I'm down. Yeah. Hey, it's time for a homebrew review. 
I got Wecker in the club tonight, and Wecker's got the Anomalous Anomalies assortment. Here's what Wecker has done. Wecker has given us variants of anomalies to spice up your next game. So get rid, throw out, I mean, use the tiles, but throw out the rules on the anomalies you're used to and give wow. some of these a try. Okay, oh, okay. so let's, let's Just, get our reaction. So, so this is a reskin on Just, the entire. Exactly. Wecker, I love the way you fit. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead of an asteroid field, we've got the rogue combat debris. So okay. these are not asteroids. These are, this is junk. This, that, those little yeah, yeah, potatoes like are it. junk I in like space. It. That, I, I, I love art, I'm imagining exactly. the art is so good. Well, we have to, I, I'm imagining the same tile, but we're recontextualizing what that art we're looking at actually right. is. Uh, okay. At the end, End of each round of space combat in this system, both players must assign a hit to one of their ships in it. the system. Anti-mass deflectors it. is adjusted so that it allows you to ignore this effect. Okay. Cool. Anti-mass still works. Um, DET tokens are sitting in there. You yeah. still want to go there for empty yeah, space stuff, yeah. but fighting over it is losses you will suffer many losses when also you fight. i like that well actually though uh, i'm seeing a problem so the problem is that amd uh doesn't because it amd is actually kind of useless now it's it's like i like what wecker's done yeah but the problem is in a vacuum you actually would just be like well whatever i'll just take the hit yeah, you know what i mean right, you wouldn't research right. amd just to avoid to, just to avoid a hit right so if we make it so that anyone can enter the rogue combat debris, so let me let let's do some live development okay, right okay, here. Let's hear it. I think at the end of movement you have to assign a hit as well. <laughs> so when you move if you in, went through or stopped in, yeah, you have to assign a hit <laughs> to your ships. So that Beautiful. means you can't send a single destroyer right. in there. You have to either send two destroyers and lose one. Right. So there's and still the a fight. way in. Yeah. Yeah. And win a fight. Or 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 what I'm saying is even if there is no fight, yeah. if there's no combat, right. you, gotta send you two. still get assigned a Love hit. Love it. Cool. Yeah. We improved your stuff, Wecker. How do you feel? All right, your nebula is instead the planetary nursery. At the start of each strategy phase, place a frontier token in this system if it does not already contain one. Then if a token was placed, destroy a ship if that's in that system if able voidborn adjusts to not have to destroy ships the voidborn being the empyrean your stuff doesn't die in nebulas in oh, this case oh i like it so i'm noticing a theme wecker just wants to kill stuff in anomalies yeah i like now. it yeah, yeah that's i mean they should be dangerous yeah just less that, plastic they're not the yeah. problem is they're not really dangerous yeah. at this point and they should be right. I, yeah i i i like this i think i'd i'd adjust the wording a little bit i think the front that frontier token i i think you just shouldn't be able to sit in that system yeah. at all. So like instead of it being kill a ship, I would just have it clear the whole dang thing. <laughs> like if you what park you a fleet there? in there, it's you're going to die. Yeah, you can't be parking any fleets. Well, that just there. is a supernova then basically without It's without a calling supernova, that. but you got you got a little bit of time out <laughs> if you have some sort of way to if lift you're your token. <laughs> yeah, if you're Mahawk or if you have or if you have warfare, primary yeah, yeah, warfare yeah. could use a little cool. help. Could use a little help. Yeah. Uh, the supernova is now the solar storm. Ships that move into this... Oh, this is... Hey, this is Hunter's idea. Ships that move into the system become damaged. If they were already damaged, they are destroyed. Gas life physiology changes to ignore damage. Magmus reactor changes to your ships in supernovas do not become damaged when they use sustain damage. What? That's why you just use sustain damage but don't actually take a hit. I don't even know yeah, if I that's... understand that. This is a lot of things at once. We're, but this is essentially what Hunter just said for the asteroid field. Basically. Well, yeah, but but this, I mean, this is even less though, because this is this has become damaged, yeah. 
which is only going to apply to to sustained or well, actually you, can you damage I think, I think this is implying technically you could just damage anything you're just damaging anything oh. sustained damage is to apply damage to units that can yeah, do it but yeah. uh, I, I think this insinuates your destroyer takes damage basically and then it would die because mm-hmm. it only has one hp so well if they were already dead i don't know I don't yeah know. I, I, the, we'd have to we'd have to litigate need, that one need, i need think back, i think so. solar storm and rogue combat debris uh, you know, we should have a meeting, Wecker, and we, we'll figure, figure out like which out. Yeah. which thing belongs with which. Let's do the last one, and I really hope it's... Yeah, I can already kind of tell. Gravity Rift is now the warped space for each ship that moves out of or through the system roll a die. That ship exits this yeah! system on the corresponding side from its uh, top is one proceeding around a six clockwise or the desire uh, the desired side if the result is greater than six and then apply plus one of that ship's movement value and continue movement if it would normally. But this is the TI-1 gravity rift essentially. This turn, resolve a space combat in any systems that contain multiple players ships. Dimensional tear just to clarify that all ship exit the desired Wait, direction. Wait, yo, 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 Wecker, Wecker. I don't know what, what this extra what, stuff what, is. What, hold up, always hold adding up. a little hold seasoning. Up, hold up, Wecker. How does the activation work <laughs> with this? What a, this? You can't... Yo, Wecker, you just hot dropped that. No, no, no. Here's what Wecker is saying. Here's what Wecker okay. is saying. You are going to one place, and technically, for the rules of Twilight Imperium, you can only have a combat in one system. Okay. And in the rules of TI-1, you do multiple combats at once because of well, the you way do all movement, your movement you do movement, then yeah. you do all your combat. Yeah. This is saying for this activation, wherever your ships ended up, you will do combat in all of those places because the warp space is going to send them to wackadoodle spots. So warp space, you could, let's say you had a giant fleet. Yeah. And you sent it into warp space. For each ship. You could actually end up in like Six. so many different systems oh yeah because you have the plus one movement too yeah you could end up in like but without and they'd be unactivated yeah worth noting you have the plus one which means like if you get sent in the wrong direction you can still kind of bevel over one if if that's where you wanted to end up yeah basically. maybe you exit out an area but then you can get where you gotta go well listen this one's not finished yeah <laughs> like i'm just being frank that's that's a pretty big question yeah of like, so a lot of these spaces are unactivated. Like one is activated. Yeah. I guess that would be the one you intend to go to. Mm-hmm. And then all the other ones are Where you end up. your ships just gone into yeah. different yep. spots. Love it. Love it, huh? <laughs> That's what we're going with love it. That's my review. That's my review my of review? this homebrew. Love it. <laughs> Let's do an agenda face. My cabbages asks or says. In a recent game, I drew the secret objective, control four hazardous planets. I only had one hazardous planet, so I discarded it at the first opportunity. My replacement secret objective was control four industrial planets. This was less difficult to achieve, but still tricky. Rolling the dice again, I tried for a better secret objective, only to draw control four hazardous planets again. I walked away after the game wondering if I should have just committed to the difficult objective instead of wasting time and command tokens drawing and discarding more secret objectives. So the question is, when you are dealt a hard-to-achieve secret objective, do you start working on it right away, or do you ignore it and plan to draw another later? I like the way this question is phrased. Yeah. Because it doesn't sound like uh, my cabbages is asking for advice. They're asking, what do we do? Yeah. And if you've ever watched me stream, I regularly say, that's a dead secret right right there. And I don't look at it. Right. So I feel like 
the secret objective deck, if there's, this is a light criticism. Yeah. Hey, Dane, you can go in the other room. <laughs> light criticism incoming, Dane. <laughs> uh, secret objective deck, it's, it's all over the place, yeah. difficulty-wise. Yeah. A lot of them are easy. Uh, some of them are hard. But I would say there's more easy than than, yeah. than difficult. Yeah, when you get um, a hard one nowadays, it really is pretty rude. <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, like, it, sometimes it is smart to to work towards yeah. more than one or, or work towards, like, you know, a, a, a difficult one. The, the problem is, so the thing about Mike Cabbage's statement here, though, that, that, we, that we have to, let's, I'm putting on my Sherlock hat. Uh-huh. So my cabbages drew uh, four industrial planets and four hazardous planets. So what kind of planets did my cabbages have? Like that's all my cultural. Qu- so no, you're saying I mean, they, it they was an all cultural slice? They said industrial was less difficult uh, to achieve, but still tricky. I could see, see that being like you know, it's, there's always a situation where it's like I got three, but that fourth one, it's over there, ain't it? You know what I well, mean? Well, it's like this is a why slice you slice is like four to five planets. Sure, sure. So I think in answering Cabbage's question, because I think it, I would have to to really, really get into the nitty gritty of this. I think I need would need more information, more information for my cabbages. Sure. Like we don't know, of course, where they're at tempo wise. Yeah. So uh, tempo dictates like how critical the secrets mm-hmm. that you have in front of you are. Mm-hmm. How many points do you have? How many secret draws are you going to get before the end of the game? Yep. So to me, once Cabbages drew the four industrial planets, if we're on like round four, I'm probably trying to do four industrial planets, yeah. especially if it's le- like less difficult. Yeah. Uh, because like surely that means like maybe, I don't know, maybe two industrial plants, hopefully yeah. at least one. Right. Um, I, I would start suiting up for those. And also, so, I think the ones we're talking about right now are certainly like, the hardest or can be the hardest right like there are there's plenty of times where four hazardous is like just impossible it's just yeah or or at least they're all way over there or whatever there are other ones that are hard that i've drawn and been like i'll work towards this but we're gonna hope to get a new one we're really gonna bank on getting a new one i mean like even even something like this is maybe not a great example but like five dreadnoughts is not particularly hard but if you have like a poor game I'll start building the dreads now. I'm going to plan to score that round four, but I'm also going to plan to try and get rid of it for something different or whatever. Yeah. But that's not quite what my cabbage's question is. So sure. I'm, I'm, I'm totally, just sort of totally. giving a, a, a side thing there. Also, though, I think sometimes in watching other people play, I think people complain about the difficulty of secrets, but they're not breaking down actually how hard it is. Yeah. And this, it would be, this type of secret, I would actually say, is a pretty good example. Because, okay, so let's say you have one industrial. Uh, and and you're saying oh it's it's less difficult but still tricky. Well, I think I mean we're ta- talking about what like two activations. Yeah. Then like I mean maybe three that would be really bad. That would right? be difficult. That's about as I would bad say as that's where the be. hazardous like the hazardous was three and they're far away. Yeah. If it's, if it's difficult to achieve but uh, not less difficult to achieve but still tricky, I would call that two activations. But it sounds to me that one is always triable. Yeah. And I just find a lot of times people are like, I'm not even really willing to try. Right. Even though all TI is is sort of positioning yourself into a situation where luck could go your way right. and then seeing if it does. Yeah. You, ca- you can never fully close the gap. Yeah. You can never fully be like, I am 100% uh, going to win this game. Unless, of course, you're like literally in the moment of winning. Yeah. That's basically it. Right. Uh, until that 10th point has popped up, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, you might not have it. Yeah. Um, 
So I do think that sometimes people don't roll the dice on uh, control secrets that are that they're maybe making harder in their head yeah. than they are. I will say this though, especially uh, to the tempo point, or especially if I had this like early enough. This was a frustration. This is relevant for the Cabal episode. A frustration I had, uh, and I have with factions similar to Cabal, but I've more complained about this in regards to some secret objectives. Is I do think it's really upsetting when the game and the meta especially you and i play in does not like warfare we we try to come to negotiations about how to score this stuff we'll talk somewhat openly about secrets we'll do we'll do little maneuvers he's seething he hates his eyes are full of hatred here's what here's what i don't like is when i draw a secret that is more or less you must commit some violence Right. Like this is non-negotiable. This is violence to do to somebody else to to accomplish this. And it's what I must do to win the game and it frustrates me that in doing that I will incur the wrath of other players. I will I will anger them and upset them when someone else just drew discard five action cards and they get to just discard their five action cards and everyone's like cool you scored that secret. That's the part. It's less about the difficulty of secrets that frustrates me, but the secret objective deck frustrates me in the meta sort of way people are treated when they take actions to try to score their secrets. You know, if I have to win a combat in a home system, right? That's a doozy. That's a that's a thing that's got to happen, and it's a big deal when it does happen. Versus the person who just like has to demonstrate your power over there, and they'll do it with ease. Do you think it's possible though that? Because I, I just wonder, I, I feel like I've heard you say a lot of stuff like this, and I wonder if there's a little bit of projection happening of of you feeling like people are doing this stuff against you, Matt, mm-hmm. the person, mm-hmm. versus like, it, it, let, let's say, let's take one of your examples, actually, like, uh, like when a combat in another player's home system. So let's say you do that, but now because you've done that, you've left an opening for so-and-so to do demo demonstrate their power on you in this system right i wonder sometimes if it's really just a chain reaction of things that players need so that whoever pulls the trigger first well now they've just opened it up for the next player to pull the trigger and so on it's sort of the inverse it's the same as the windslide carousel essentially is like someone's got to do something we have to start this so that we know what this end game state looks like basically so like in and and i think i think the answer there is that if you if you spend time saying okay i i am not going to swing for this because it would leave me too open yeah. and then start looking at well what can i do without leaving me open yeah. i find that oftentimes there's still a lot of stuff to be done right especially if you're playing a faction that like can stall or if you can you know, it's it's everything is about timing in TI. Mm-hmm. It's about when you choose to right. do it and how many people are going to be able to respond to what you've done. Right. Basically. Yeah. I mean, I I think I certainly have a lot of mental pressure on myself to um, make no mistakes. And then, of course, uh, everyone makes lots and lots of mistakes every right. single game of TI. But I am I I. Uh, that is unforgivable <laughs> for right. for Matt to make mistakes right. uh, in Matt's brain. Uh, and so then I very often view things that have upset another player and thus deserve a response as a mistake. I view it as, well, I should have found a way 
for it to not garner a response, <laughs> basically. Right. Which, to your point, is to say, no, 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 every re- every action is going to ha- have a way... Have a reaction. A thing, everyone's going to have a reaction to that. They're gonna That's going to make them have something they can do. I mean, I think that is, in essence, the difficulty of predicting the late game and why we always say like push for push for the win anyways because like setting off that chain of events plenty often results in somebody doing something you didn't expect them to do that that offsets the whole all of your expectations or whatever and, and so i guess to all of that end there's certainly a sense of like when i have dark in the skies in round three and i could do it right then that's when i'm like the most afraid of what the response is going to be because it's like i could darken the skies and it might genuinely ruin that. that your game's done. That's it. It's going to be the end for you if I if I do this right. Right. Now. But how much are they going to be able to do about right. that? Like that. Yeah. And and that's kind of my question is like is like it's it's kind of about weighing how wh- what what your opponents and it's not just the opponent you're talking about, but your other your other neighbor, yeah. people across the, the board other from four. you. What what are they going to be able to do in response to this now? Because yeah. there's always going to be that. There's always going to be this player did this, which really hurt this person. But now, and the the game feels like it's it's very intentional in that way of like uh, it's almost like uh, I don't know. It's like it's like a world war. It's like World War Two. Yeah, of just like someone does something and now everyone's declaring war on each other. I guess right. that's actually more of a World War One thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like. If you declare war on someone, then everyone else kind of now has a, an incentive to declare war on you, not because of a retaliation to violence, but because they're opportunist as well. Yeah, right. Like they're, you're, right. you're being opportunist in, tr- in seeking the point, and now you have opened up opportunities yeah. for others. Yeah, I think it comes down to that, that just frustration with all the factions that can get away with such passive points. That's always sort of the most like frustrating part of the game is it's like this game set me up to need to do so much. I put in a lot of work to do all those things. And Joel and I are just sat over there and and scored. You really soured on and, Joel Nar. Well, I still I love. Pl- I mean, hey, playing as Joel Nar, yeah, and, and ride high, baby. But sure. like, you know, yeah, playing against it is really frustrating uh, when when they are able to just like accomplish so much just by like yeah. just by existing. As as Sorrel is how I feel. Today I was playing a game with uh, Deft Piper as a Sorrel, and in round two I called out that uh, uh, Deft Piper and Jade were in the lead, and Deft Piper was a little bit may I don't know for show or not, but she was a little bit indignant that I would say she was Deft in the lead. Piper? Oh. <laughs> in what? No. Uh, and, and and you know her point was like I'm not in any sort of like tempo position, and I was just like, but you're a Sorrel. And also your Deaf Piper, like, right? I know how this goes. Okay, right. I've seen this play. Well, out. you so here's. I mean, my advice to you would be that actually you're Matt Martin, so I would probably not ever try to play the URX. Why? Type I don't win. It, but everybody knows who you are. Like, and mm. and also like you, like you have no idea. Everybody thinks you, I'm lying. You, well, also your your self concept, your idea of yeah. who you are. You don't know you. We all know you. Everyone that listens to the show (laughs) and me, we all know you better than you know yourself. (laughs) So you'll be like, I don't win. I lose. I'm so bad. And it's like, yeah, well, we've been watching. Like, we know. (laughs) Like, we know. You just don't. That's what it is. Your life is this idea of... It's kind of a Truman Show situation (laughs) where... Everyone is kind of everyone kind of sees you I think a little more accurately than you are seeing yourself. 
and you're kind of walking around like being like, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. Oh my goodness, welcome back to the tournament recap. It's been a hot minute. We've had too many special presentations for you, but we're back into what feels like somewhat normal episodes. And we didn't finish the 36 games of the prelims. I've got some of them for you right now. As I record this, I don't know how many I'm going to be willing to do. Let's see how far I get. Game 15 is brought to us by Toron. Prelims game 15 opened with a remarkably weak faction draft that had 35 minutes of quiet contemplation from the players, foreshadowing the difficult game ahead. The opening flop was especially brutal, with Discover lost outposts and amass wealth. All throughout round one, the attachments stayed hidden for all but L1, leading to a struggle to score, leaving out Yin and Arborek. Those two objectives were followed by two techs and two colors, another difficult objective for this low-tech table. Muat pushed for the lead in round two by taking custodians quickly followed by Arborek attempting to make up for their early game losses by permanently entrenching themselves on Rex. A table that might have normally been more tradey was continually pushed towards aggression and awkward planet swaps due to the poor map, factions, and difficult objectives. An uneventful status and agenda phase revealed another difficult objective and two unit upgrades. Extra continued to successfully downplay their power despite being on tempo and on track to unlock their hero in round 3 status phase. Ghosts started pushing around the vulnerable spots of the table with their mobile fleets and the players continued to struggle to score. Round 4 finally revealed an easy objective in the form of 5 trade goods. The agenda phase revealed Ixthian Artifact, which was swiftly trade ridered by Ghosts on 4. Seeing this was perhaps the only opportunity to kick Arborek off Mechatalrex, the table was still greedy with their votes and nearly let Arborek swing the vote with the Distinguished Counselor, but it was sabotaged in short order. A roll to explosion followed, resulting in 14 resources worth of plastic being wiped off Rex. This opened up the map to let anything happen in rounds 4 and 5. Everyone at the table had a clear path to score in round 4, and Ghost succeeded in getting ahead, going into round 5 with an Imperial point. The round ended with 3 players on 6 and 3 players on 7 before revealing the nearly impossible to achieve, even for L1, 7 structures. The round ended with less than 10 minutes on the clock and with an impossible to score stage 2, and no player higher than 7, a tiebreaker seemed inevitable. The difficult pre-tiebreaker setup of collecting resources, planets, and edge cases would follow for the next two hours. Ghosts unsuccessfully tried to remove Extra from the tiebreaker with a home system shot. Extra appeared to have a clear advantage moving into the tiebreaker with a massive pile of trade goods to play with, while the other players attempted to ensure they made it to the tiebreaker and had an unlikely out to win. L1 pushed to take Muat out of the tiebreaker with a home system shot and failed despite having a much stronger fleet. At the end of the round, Ghosts, Yin, and Extra had made their way to 9. A surprise mutiny meant that Yin could sneak a surprise win, or Arborek and Muat could get to 9 before it was swiftly quashed. No agenda could stand in the way, and the tiebreaker started. Extra was able to score 13 out of 15 unrevealed objectives, with only Yin 
having an outside chance of sniping the win. Unfortunately for them, and fortunately for Extra, the tiebreaker was swiftly ended on objective two by four structures, meaning Extra could take it away. Congratulations to Gekapop as Extra, and special thanks to Liver Squatch for taking over the commentary halfway through. Game 30 is brought to us by Drago Thaxton. Round 1 saw objectives spend 8 influence and 4 planets with the same trait. Quickly, Jolnar began workshopping a deal to sell Research Agreement twice to Soul and Asaro, but things never materialized and was ultimately only sold to Soul. Jolnar uncovered the DMZ on Vorhall right adjacent to their home, which would lead to problems later. Nomad became rich off a trade pot, banking the three trade goods on their agent for next round as well. As the round winded down, Asarl, sitting on enough trade goods and readied planets, debated between scoring the stage one versus taking custodians. After getting permission from the table, they grabbed the hard point in the opening round. The agenda phase was highlighted with Nomad sneaking a trade rider into the works, leading them to getting a bonus five trade goods on their agent, for the next status phase and being elected to grab a free tech to boot. Round 2 had spend 8 resources flip. With the heat from the trade rider, the Nomad didn't waste time to start making deals to help lower that temperature, all of which would be negotiated in whispers in what they said were deals on deals on deals. What was a mostly quiet table would soon change and be full of spice and salt. A deal between Sol and Jolnar was struck to allow Jolnar to score the four planets of the same trait using some of Sol's slice. With Jolnar sitting on the needed planets and very thin defensively with the DMZ not blocking anything, Sol took the chance to kick a player early to avoid allowing them to become a juggernaut by moving in to take Jolnar's home system. Jolnar swore to fight back the rest of the game to make Sol pay for the aggression. Soon, the other side of the galaxy would erupt as well, with Asaro making a deal with Nomad to swap planets in their slice to each get four. However, Asaro would need Semlor to complete their set and cost all of their goodwill with L1Z1X. Despite this, they went through with it in an activation that seemed to last forever and ended with the L1Z1X player saying, Semlor will cost less than the destruction of the goblin species. The agenda phase saw representative government go four and political censure be put on the Nomad. Round 3 had two unit upgrades flip, and after Sol cleared out all they could from the Jolnar home system, Jolnar activated their home in what seemed like an understanding to let them get it back. However, during the space combat, a direct hit was played against Jolnar by Sol, which ended the attempt before it even began. Later, the two discussed ownership of two key planets for Jolnar that Sol needed, which led to Sol saying, There is no chance for you to win and that he had to so that he could deal with the Nomad who was running away with the game. Jolnar would not accept this outcome and doubled down on their revenge. With Sol's resources tied up in this conflict, L1Z1X committed to eradicating Asarl and the support swap with Nasroka. The Nomad was dealing with no direct threats at this point. Through their whispered deals, they gave the cavalry to either Jolnar or Asarl to give them just enough punch to keep those other military powers occupied. The agenda phase saw Nasroka get elected to draw a relic, and Tech be elected for a bonus secondary use. The final round four, with the flagship wars on stage one revealed, the writing seemed to be on the wall for a nomad victory. However, the fight was not over yet, and Speaker Soul took leadership. Nasroka Imperial, Nomad Politics, L1 Diplo, Asarl Tech, and Jolnar Warfare. On L1's first turn of the round, they continued their crusade and went to take Asarl's home system. However, without their commander, there would be no harrow against the PDS planets. But that wouldn't matter as Asaro played parlay, and then on L1's second turn, they would make an attempt to take another Asaro planet, but barely fail to take the ground. The other Forever War continued as well, with Jolnar going for Sol's home system and using cavalry provided by Nomad. Sol would keep the planet, but losing vital plastic to help defeat Nomad in the process. With their final moves, Sol played their hero after moving units next to Nomad's home system 
and proceeded to move the units taking up the space surrounding it, but never actually taking any planets. All of this time, Nazroka had been silently playing their game, staying out of any conflicts and just amassing fragments and relics, which by the end of the game, they had attained a total of seven relics, sadly none of which were shard or the crown to match the tomb already out in play. With them on the rise, tensions grew between all players. When time ran out, the round concluded with Nomad at 9 and Nazroka at 8, and now only the agenda phase separated Nomad from victory. Just before the vote started on the final agenda, Nazroka voiced that Sol had offered his support to them to force a tiebreaker instead of Nomad winning outright. Nazroka announced that they were declining the offer and applauded Nomad for the game they played, saying they deserved the win. With that agenda phase ended, Nomad won at nine points in the most well-seasoned game I have ever witnessed. Congratulations to Toby Likes Food as the Nomad. Game 31 is written by Drew Minus. Round one, the usual expansion occurs. Cabal finds a paradise world on Evera. Table is otherwise amicably trading and helping each other out. Empyrean finds a relic off DET, and it's the Maw of Worlds. Titan remembers all their sleeper tokens. Ding, 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 ding. Congratulations. Cabal also finds a Dyson Sphere. Empyrean, Cabal, and Titans all score make history. The next objective is expand borders. Round two, Nalu does not take Mechatol first action. Ghost doesn't take its second action. Argent takes it third action. Cabal finds Mirage after, after researching DET round one. Argent trades some fragments to get Relic and gets a Nano Forge. Cabal negotiates to get three fragments and sells Speaker to Empyrean. Empyrean engages in a three-way deal to score six planets. Cabal pops their fragments for a Dynamis Core. Cabal extorts a support for the throne from Ghosts to not ruin their game by stopping them scoring. Empyrean scores six planets. Cabal two and two. Titans two and two. Ghosts, Argent, and Nalu all score make history. And Titans scores a secret. Corner of the Market comes out for the fourth objective. Round three, Empyrean takes trade for the third time in a row. Ghost tries to extort someone with a spy, but the table all declares that all their cards suck. The table tries to negotiate to share planets, but they seem to fail with Titans fighting Cabal. Cabal and Titans have a 1v1 mech fight in which both have Duranium armor. After several rounds of combat, White eventually wins. I don't know who White is. There's an absolute mess of deals between Cabal and Ghosts involving a ceasefire swap with Ghost that tries to break. Cabal lets it happen, loses a planet, and then triggers Ghost to play their ceasefire, but loses them. Some sort of deal gets Cabal Titans support. Creus and Titans expand borders. Nalu, Argent, and Empyrean score 2-2. Two and two. Mutiny comes up in the agenda phase, and Argent extorts a support swap out of Empyrean with an assassinate representative, then assassinates Ghosts. Ghost tries to play Imperial Rider, but it gets eaten by a Sabo. Mutiny goes 4, with everyone but Ghosts getting a point. In round 4, Nalu's positioning to take Mechatol with Imperial this round. Argent somewhat amicable despite the possibility of a deal. Nalu attacks Mechatol regardless. Nalu wipes Argent off the face of Mechatol with the Matriarch and 14 fighters. Nalu fleet logistics into an Imperial pop to push boundaries, scoring two points. Ghost and Cabal make a deal to get Cabal malice and stop fighting. Cabal and Empyrean also deal to allow Empyrean to potentially score four of the same trait. Cabal sells Speaker to Empyrean for two fragments and the planets discussed earlier. Some sort of deal between Titans and Cabal continues to play out. I love that. Some sort of deal. L love it when nobody knows what's going on with deals. Titans get in the way of Cabal and Empyrean's deal by taking the empty planets. Diplomacy is well and truly failing at this point, with the deals required to make progress becoming far too hard. Ghosts pops three fragments for the Codex. Empyrean accepts three trade goods to pass, then gets extorted for those trade goods back immediately. Cabal, Titans, Nalu, and Argent score a secret. Everyone scores public. Supports still in hand for Cabal, Ghosts, and Nalu. Found a Golden Age is the stage two. In the agenda phase, Swords the Plowshares comes out. It gets vetoed, but the veto gets saboed by an Empyrean mech. 
Four writers then come out, but the agenda gets deadly plotted in the end. In round four, Cabal pops the hero, but despite eight systems and close to 17 ships being in range, only nets four. Argent betrays Nalu on Mechatol, taking the planet in the process. Titans uses Imperial to score 16 resources, putting them on nine, and then Titans' predictive intelligences down to zero fleet, destroying all of their ships and putting their tokens into tactics. Nalu takes planets off of Argent to deny them the stage two. Imperian scores Spark off Titans in a sketchy ground combat. Argent takes some planets off Titans, likely to Diplo later for the stage two. Imperian Stellar converts Evera for a stall. Unmitigated violence occurs across the table in a windslay. And point securing Bonanza, Ghost takes Argent's home, triggering become a martyr. Ghost scores destroy their greatest ship on Imperian. Titans gets outstalled, and it turned out their secret was indeed prove endurance. Nalu wins in the status phase with the stage two and stake your claim, having top decked a scorable secret off of Imperial. Congratulations to Chazit as Nalu. Okay, this episode's final game is game 32, written by the TI Junkies. Round one, objectives are spendies. Complicated money deals ensue between the rich kids in town, Hakan, Imperian, and Muat. Muat, the holder of trade, ends up cut, getting cut out of a deal for Dark Pact, while Hakan facilitates the X-1 refresh for everyone. All end with one point, no secrets scored. Round two, Barony did not plan for it, but takes custodians. Muat ends up taking Mechatol from them by the end of the action phase. Everyone continues to score with good and similar tempo. Round three, we see the first support swap between Muat and Empyrean, quickly followed by Barony and Yin, naturally leading to Hakan and Nalu to do the same. Nalu gets elected Minister of Commerce, and Yin gets elected Minister of War. Both agenda phases have been filled with wheeling and dealing. Round four, Barony draws the shard, putting them in the lead with seven points. Ironic, because they had paid good money in the first agenda phase to be elected Minister of Antiquities, and they had drawn a Nano Forge. So now they have a vulnerable Nano Forged Grawl to worry about. Nalu point blocks Barony by taking the tech skip planet they negotiated from Embers, and the round ends with everyone at six and seven points. The two pointer revealed is to control 11 non home planets, which seems to be impossible for anyone to score. Empyrean goes for Barony's home system, using the Minister of War. Barony pleads, offering their legendary Grawl instead for the shard point. After getting verbal pushback, Empyrean reveals that this could be the game-winning action for them, with three points on the line. After winning in space, they score Spark or Rebellion, putting them at eight. They win on the ground after a brutally long and close combat, scoring Dark in their skies and taking Shard, getting them the win. Congrats to Danny Boy as Empyrean for a sneaky and mind-blowing win early in the action phase. Thank you, everybody. Next week, I will have the end of the prelims reports, and I'll also should be reading a, a report of game one of the semis, which again is this coming Sunday at 1800 UTC. We'll see you there at twitch.tv slash spacecatspeaceturtle.